0: Suck my dick!
1: Okay, my apologies. Thank you for your patience. I'm ready to roll.
2: All right.
3: We do not forgive you.
2: <laughs> all right. <laughs> I'm leaving all that in there, too. Okay, so <laughs> welcome to Put It On Record, uh, the you know podcast about DJing uh, by DJs. Um, this is episode eight. This is a very special episode. Um, I do want to start by saying that, um, every time I talk to this person, I learn something new and that happened earlier today. I learned something new about zoom. Um, I, I want to say this person is, uh, um, very meticulous. Um, very, he's a wealth of knowledge. Um, also a great DJ, a 10 year DJ, um, great friend, uh, Welcome to the show, Crate Digger. Appreciate it,
1: appreciate it. So what's funny about your intro is I taught you something about Zoom, and then mine started acting funny, so we <laughs> yeah.
2: So maybe Man, I need to, I got to double check your sources on that then, no. Oh, and also, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah
1: always, always, always uh, proofread and double check, you know, right. all that for me.
2: We, um, oh yeah, I forgot about ourselves. Uh, I am DJ Byrne, a.k.a., um... Tom Brokaw, Tom Byrne call. you know, we're doing interviews now. <laughs> that, that, that one ain't work? All right. Scrap that one. Boo. Uh And I'm here with my co-host.
4: <laughs> Don't fret. And Recio.
2: Right. Um, so um, with all of our interviews, which we've only had, this is the second one. We have a little icebreaker question. Um, and so I'm going to put you on the spot. This is why you didn't get the notes ahead of time. That's we cool. want to know. I'll be sure to bomb it. Let's go. <laughs> Your most embarrassing moment or gig as a DJ.
1: Wow. Um, that's a great question. I don't really know my most embarrassing. Um, And I don't, I mean, I'm sure there's times where like people didn't think I was good or didn't like what I was doing or whatever. But to be honest, I've been doing this, you know, 25 years this year. So like I've done a lot of gigs in a lot of spaces. Um And it's, I'm not gonna say it's hard to embarrass me, but like generally speaking, I don't go into things with a certain level of ego or lack of self awareness to where like I get embarrassed. Like I've done things and like mixes been off or I've tried to scratch something and the needle jumps. Like I guess that's embarrassing, but I've never like been so bad I've gotten booed off, booed off the stage or I've <laughs> never like had a table collapse while I'm DJing, you know, nothing like that. <laughs> But I mean, just <laughs> I in general, that. you know, I, I've had great days and not so great days. But in the end, like, you know, no matter all of the different things that different folks have a, a perspective and perceptions of me, like I know when it's all said and done, generally speaking, like I'm a really laid back guy. I'm really silly for folks who know me. I don't not that I don't take things seriously, but like I enjoy having a good time. And I'm really like a grown up kid. Like I'm always joking. I'm always being silly. Um, unless people put me in a different space and then that, a lot of folks know like that part of me or like when I'm DJing like actively DJing like I am very I'm very much a cerebral focused on what I'm doing and I know people say it but and it's not like a chess match where I'm like five steps ahead but like there is so much that goes into DJing when you do it at a certain level that some people don't even realize it and I think even DJs don't fully realize it after you've been doing it for so long. So like if you ask somebody like, all of the different mechanics of walking, it's more than just putting one foot in front of the other. It's about moving, balance, awareness of what's going on. If there's wind, if there's water, like, there's so much that goes really into the mechanics of just walking. How can you ex- ask somebody to ex- explain all of it? For me, it's the same with DJing. I'm thinking of the music I'm playing, what I'm gonna be playing next. Not just what song I'm playing next, but where am I going and then inside of where I'm going, like, how do you get there? So, we'll just use this, we'll, we'll we'll get this all the way early. Like the sex analogy, like if I know like at that first kiss, like what my goal is, I can't just well I can, but probably don't want to just like 90 mile per hour towards that goal.
2: Please I want to
1: <laughs> be able to pace. <laughs> you want you want to be able to pace it out and have a strategy or to, not necessarily an agenda, but like a route that you're looking to take. To get from beginning to that goal, inside a DJ, you, I at least, not just know where I'm trying to go, but also understand the pacing and knowing how to not like go too fast to where people don't get it, or go too slow to where people like tune out. But at the same time, like you, there's all these different levels of engagement for me and how I DJ. So I say all that to say like when I'm DJing, I am not looking to have no conversations. I'm not looking to do all the things that that y'all have already talked about people like to do when you're DJing. Um, And above that, like, I'm not a, generally speaking, a person who wears my feelings, like, on my sleeve. So at times I look, I I do have that resting bitch face or that, you know, focused DJ face, whatever you want to call it. Like, I have that when I'm DJing, and not because I'm mad, not because I'm not having fun, but I am very much focused on so many levels of what I'm doing and how I'm doing it
2: all right
3: I'm glad that you said that because i a lot of times um people will ask me like am i upset am i angry did something happen and it's just like no there's 100 people in here that i have to make happy like i'm working right now. i'm just focused <laughs> on the end goal so it's never because i'm mad though it's always because i'm just really focused and wanting to do a good job
2: all right but you're gonna answer this question so is there <laughs> has there ever been a humbling or difficult moment dj personally, internally?
1: Uh, Absolutely. There's there's always those. Um, There's times where you're where you know you're doing a good job in the aspect of technically DJing, but people aren't enjoying it. Or there's times where, you know, you're having a good you're you're doing well and you can look around the room and see people are enjoying themselves, but they're not creating the 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 visual Mm. interaction that the party promoter wants. So, for example, I've done hundreds of bars, clubs, things like that. There's plenty of times where I can look out and see the dance floor is empty. But if I look around and see all these folks at the bar and at their tables snapping their hands, clapping their hands, singing along, I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Facts. Now, if the only if the only test to is the DJ good is the dance floor full, there's going to be times where a lot of DJs, better than me, worse than me, that ain't been born yet are going to fail that test if that's the only test. So a lot of folks, they they want to have a, a they want to have kind of a I don't want to call it stereotypical, but they want to have an experience that looks a certain way, Mm -hmm. which is more important to them oftentimes than people actually having a good time. People having a good time looks different ways across different time frames and in different venues and um, in different spaces. Um, So I say all that to say that there's been those times where, you know, I'm having a great time or I know I'm doing a good job and it's not translating. There's those times where like, I'm just like, I'm not the person for this thing. Um, And it's, you know, there's those, you know, there's just always those off nights too. I've had, you know, nights where I've had to DJ after having an absolutely horrible day. And like, there's one specific time that I recall, like I was just emotionally and physically like drained, like spent, but I still had to do my job. And I was so kind of taxed that in between my sets, all I could do was just sit, on one of my cases in the booth, and just like just 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 be not even be present, but physically I was there, but I was done everything else. But I still had to pop up when it was my time to do my set and try to you know do my job to the best of my ability. So you know I've had nights like that. You know, thankfully only one specifically like that. But you know we're we're people who who do a thing, and that thing is parts of it is objective. So much of it is subjective. Um, that. You know, in the end, I kind of just I've been, like I said, 25 years in. So I know I know what I'm doing. Um, I've I've had lots of conversations with lots of different folks across lots of different spaces in inside of and outside of entertainment and performance. So, like, knowing if I'm a good DJ or not, that's a conversation I'm 15 years plus past. Hmm. Does that mean I'm everybody's thing? Absolutely not. And I'm cool with that because I damn sure can tell you that a whole lot of folks I don't really care for. So, you know, (laughs) that's a reciprocal thing. Everybody ain't for everybody. Um, But what's tough is for me at this point and stage in my life, what's difficult is um, a lot of perceptions and perspectives from people who are not as well versed. A lot of times those folks have the loudest voice or or Mm. the loudest platform, so it makes it harder for people who are really doing not even just good work but hard work people who are working hard, developing, and then people who've been in it, you know, not to take it political, but we just talk about COVID and vaccine. It's like, you can feel what you want to feel about vaccines. But the goddamn truth is there's some doctors who've been studying this shit for 40 plus years and science is science. So you're going to find out like, oh, we used to think this. We used to think the, the world is flat. It's not. Even though some people still think the, the world is flat, like, yo, I haven't been into space, but I've seen pictures of the world. It's not flat. Now, you know, <laughs> if you want to talk about whether we landed on the moon or not, Have that conversation with somebody else. I really don't give a shit. But I know the world's not flat. But there's some people who really believe that and will go to the literal, ironically speaking, end of the earth to prove that the world is flat. But we have all this science that shows that it's not. Now, if we have science that comes out 20 years from now that said, oh, shit, actually it is flat, that counters it, then we can have a different conversation. But once again, all of that that I'm saying leads to a lot of people who have loud opinions, but they're not based on no kind of research, no kind of development, no kind of reading, no kind of practice. It's just what they think. And you feel, feel free to think what you think, but just because you think it doesn't put it on par or on the same level as someone who's been engaged with it, who studied it, um, whether they're right or wrong at times. Once again, that's what science is. Science is about... Having an idea, testing that idea out, is your idea right or wrong? If you're right, cool. The next page of it may have a different idea that's wrong, or you might be wrong up front to lead you to being right. But once again, a lot of people have opinions that's just loud, and they, you know, just like bad breath. It it (laughs) smells bad, but it ain't something you should be really proud of.
2: So, look, somebody (laughs) just tweeted, or somebody hit me on the side about one of our our podcasts and says, just because I'm a DJ, why do you think I don't know how it goes? I'm like, cause you're not a fucking DJ. What do you mean? Like, like, <laughs> like you can't tell me more. I'm not. I'm never gonna go in a restaurant and tell the the chef how I would make it, cause that's not what I'm here for. Like, I'm gonna let you cook. But uh, anyways, let's uh let's get back to Crate. Um, so I want to do this in segments. Um, you know there there there's the uh, the early years of you, um, and then there's what you're doing currently, but. I feel like there was a, a shift in DJing uh, when Serato came out. So that's also a point we're going to go. So we're going to go segment by segment. Um, but what I first want to do is talk about you. Like where are you from, uh, where you grew up, how music influenced you in your childhood, high school years, um, and then um, talk about your college years and how you started DJing. So let's just start with your early years and uh, where are you from?
1: Well, as you can tell, I'm pretty verbose, so I try not to give you my whole life story. But I was born in Canton, Ohio, home of the uh, NFL Hall of Fame. So I remember like around right before uh, or right around first grade, um, I went to one of the Battle of the Bands that they had had each year for the um, Hall of Fame ceremonies. So all the you know different high schools across the, the, the region will come in performing all that. Um, I saw though one of those, and I went home and I was banging on everything, and I was like, "Nah, we're not doing that." So she fucking, <laughs> she bought me a drum. <laughs> <So> uh, nah. <laughs> yeah, she she was like, "No, we're, we're absolutely not." She bought me a drum. You know, moving forward, we moved to Columbus around uh, second around my second grade year, uh, and I've been in Columbus ever since. Grew up. Um, we first moved to um, right near uh, Bishop Hartley, and then we moved further southeast. So I, I grew up around the corner from East Haven. Mm. Um, so I'm from one of the havens here in the in the city. Gang, gang. But um uh, <laughs> so so you know that I grew up in Southeast Columbus. Uh and being here in Columbus before I was a teen, I was involved in West African percussion. So I kind of learned like performance and like really had my first actual musical education in the space of West African percussion. And what that means—not just from a physically playing the drum standpoint, but understanding the music, the many layers, and the the, the polyrhythms inside the music, and all those th- different things. So jumping forward to high school, or even middle school, middle school, high school—you know—I'm—I'm I'm a definitely one of those folks whose whose life is like hip hop influenced to the point where like hip hop is my language, of of culture, of lifestyle, specifically of music. Um, so, you know, I, I grew up and, and was in middle school and then further in, ahead in high school, engaging in the conversations about hip hop and how the same way people go in front of Congress and talk about, you know, at, at certain points, you know, like the dangers of um, Al-Qaeda and radicalization, all that, the same way they sit at the green tables and, and speak in front of Congress about those kind of topics. They used to sit in front of Congress and talk about how, how hip hop was going to be the downfall of American society. And then we used to have, you know, see Dolores Tucker and other folks, you know, running steamrollers over CDs and all that because hip hop was seen as such a, uh, an abomination to the well being of the country. So I kind of grew up and was developed and kind of became an adult uh, and a preteen, excuse me, a teen and pre adult slash adult in that time frame of the, of the mid 90s. So jumping ahead to my sophomore year at Kentucky State University, uh, I was on cross country scholarship. And uh, aside from having had three coaches across three seasons, I had an a, a injury that I, I, I got in high school. So my interest in running was dwindling, along with the fact that once again, I've been in, involved with, with music and performing since being like, you know, second grade, give or take. Hip-hop was something I was already engaged in in different ways, but had never DJed before. Made friends with the local, one of the main DJs on campus. And he was like, yo, you know, come through if you want to learn. I was like, cool. Um, and at some point, like we just linked up and he let me like mess around. So the first time I actually touched turntables in a mixer, I wasn't good at it, but I had seen plenty of Rap City. I had seen plenty <laughs> of, you know, UMTV raps. So I understood the mixer fader works like this. And I had record players as a little kid. And I got, you know, I talk about it in other spaces, but I got my 45s of Mary Poppins and Swamp Fox and all those songs that used to come out on 45s you mm. know, by Disney back in the day. Uh, I still, as a little kid, I had my little record player and I would scratch those, no slip mats and you know, killing needles and scratching up 45s. But I say all that to say, I understood the mechanics of DJing. I understood the concept of having polyrhythms and multiple songs. Even in high school, at times I would think to myself, oh, it would be cool to hear this beat and these vocals or this bass line and these drums. So all of those things conceptually were already there. It was just the matter of me having the opportunity to physically work out some of those ideas. So I used to go to my, my homie, DJ Sakari, my brother for life, and I'll, I'll always put his name out there, but DJ Sakari used to let me come to his dorm room every night and I would practice for sometimes three, four, five hours. I would record my practices. I would go back to my room, sometimes as late as three, four in the morning, put that tape in and fall asleep to it. And then I'd be back up at six o'clock, you know, for, for cross country practice. And I would do that every day, all week. Party nights, like Friday, Saturdays, when we have parties, I would fall, hang out with him and the crew. I would help pack everything up. And this is the day, once again, we carrying crates. So he's doing a college party. So there might be like eight or ten crates of music he's pulling from. So we're carrying all the crates from his dorm room to the student center or to the gym for the parties. I'm helping set everything up. I'm learning how to, to route the mixers to the speakers and all these different things. And then, you know, moving forward, I was doing this for six weeks, and I kind of got thrown into my, fir- my first gig. Um, okay. I was already, you know, proficient enough to be able to DJ. I was also able to hook everything up. Uh, I was also, once again, because I had been performing since at such a young age, like I didn't have that kind of fear of being on stage, whether it was public speaking, whether it's presenting, whether it's performance, like none of that was a problem for me. So I'm going, I'm setting up the the gear and, you know, he's like, alright well, I'm going to run downstairs, go ahead and, you know, throw something on. I'm going to run downstairs for a minute. So I throw a song on. He don't come back. All right. Party got to keep going. No sweat. I've done this before. Play the next song and then in the next song and then so you know like an hour and a half two hours later like he comes back and i'm like you good i'm thinking something's wrong or whatever he's like No, nah, i'm good uh i was like all right well here you go he's like oh no no you keep rocking I, i'm doing a party downstairs oh. so, my first, so my first gig it, it, it's not like he set me up per se but like my first gig was not like i was walking into it to do my first gig right like a setup
3: to me right (laughs) (laughs) but
1: but but again it's like i had i knew the crates because i had to carry Mm them i knew the equipment because i had to set it up i've been practicing for three or four hours every night so like even in inside of the 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 learning to dj i was learning to dj the way i was doing clubs i was practicing four Mm -hmm. hours a night so Mm -hmm. i'm practicing a club night or i'm practicing like basically the same thing so you know, so I know that's kind of a, a long story, but it gets to where like, so my development and the the quick uh, the quickness with which I'm doing my first gig isn't because like, it, it's, I won't say it's normal per se, but it was just, it, all those different things came together where I had the access to be able to practice four hours a night, every night for six weeks. I was with the crew of DJs who were showing me things. They weren't hiding information or they weren't saying, you know, you can't can't rock with us until you get your own gear. You can't, you know, I was welcomed into a space to learn. So I came into that space to learn to DJ, not necessarily to become a DJ.
2: Mm. Um, I don't know if I said this on this podcast. I have a terrible memory. But when I was at elementary school, shout out to Livingston Elementary. When we had free time, um, you, you know, you could do different activities in the uh, in the room. And they had, like, a record player where you can, like, go listen to, like, books on album or whatever. And I remember it was a Star Wars album. I used to go over there and just scratch on it. Like I was, I wasn't listening. to Nothing they were talking about. I just went over there because I, I, I like the sound of it, and because of Juice, which is that's influenced everybody. So I always wanted to do that, at, um, and that was kind of like a similar story as far as like just being able to know the mechanics of it and being able to put your hands on it. I do want to ask. Um, so you talked about your first gig. Um, I'm com- I'm coming to find that a lot of people, rappers and DJs, their name ain't their first name. So when, where'd you come up with Crate Digger and? Uh, was that the original one or no
1: so my my it it, is no it's not my first dj name um i came up with crate Digger um in part because even as i was learning to dj before i had done my first gig i'm a i'm a i won't even say a student at the time per se but i was into music so i grew up with parents who you know bought their own records individually so like at my house My mom's got records with her name on them. My dad's got records with, like, that's a a cultural thing. Like, your parents, whether they bought them married or they bought them and then brought them into the house together, like, whoever bought that album and it belongs to literally wrote their name on that album because this is my album. So I grew up with mom having records, dad having records. We would listen to the music throughout the house sometimes, but mainly in the car a lot. So I heard a lot of Funkadelic, a lot of Cameo, a lot of Stevie, a lot of Gregory Isaacs, Supercat. There's a whole lot of different artists I heard growing up. So moving forward to when I was actually DJing, I already understood the concept of, oh, Big Papa is just between the sheets. Or this song is really just a remake. Like, So I already had that understanding of the generational kind of links inside of music, specifically, specifically through hip-hop and sampling. Mm. And even if the samples weren't, as clear as like those examples, I was mm-hmm. aware and understood the concept of sampling. So moving forward, even in college, I'm doing Biggie and Between the Sheets, and a lot of people were looking at me like, "Why are you playing this old music?" I didn't care. <laughs> like I, I, I didn't care. It, it was just it was my it was part of my artistic kind of presence. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving forward, once I left school and and you know was back in Columbus, like. I wasn't gonna keep that DJ name that I kind of fell into cause once again, I was learning to DJ for the sake of learning to DJ, not to become a DJ. But even after being a DJ for three years, I never thought about like my, a DJ name for myself. So my DJ name starting out was based on a nickname that I got in high school. And then it moved forward Which was- Yeah, Shannon with the <laughs> right, Why are you being so secretive? <laughs> All right, so in high school, <laughs> Shout out to my, my man, Gerard, and my brother, Doriel. They used to call me Silky, like, Silky Smooth. Bye.
3: I'm logging on.
2: <laughs> <All right>. so, <laughs> I'm logging on. Thanks so, for coming so, out, and I'm playing. <laughs> yeah,
1: so I was, I was DJ Silk just out of, like, that was a nickname <laughs> I had. But, of course, gr- going, to, going to college in the late 90s, you got Silk the Shaka and the whole masterpiece. Yeah. Cash, uh, you know, not even cash money, but, like, that whole masterpiece, cash no money. Um, yeah. No limit. in No limit. Um, energy. And y'all spoke about it. I believe maybe two episodes go episodes ago, maybe. I feel like y'all spoke about it at, at some point, but anyway, like that was so um influential on the greater space mm. of hip hop, uh specifically going to school, like I said, below um the Ohio River. So even though it was Kentucky, Kentucky was really part of the South. That's the South. And then <laughs> and, and then all the different schools we engage with are all in that Morehouse, Spellman, Clark, um, Lamont Owen, Miles you know savannah state et cetera et cetera so all of the all of the intercollegiate engagement was with those schools further south, so once again, you know silk was not a, a name I liked, but at the time I was still kind of learning different aspects of the culture, so like what- what was I gonna call myself? I wasn't gonna call myself you know anything else, so that's what it was in in college um And I definitely took the opportunity to really think about what I wanted to call myself and be known as when I left college. And once again, it just spoke to like all of those, um, the understanding and the respect of the generational um, engagement. And um, there's a certain word that I'm losing right at the moment, but like the reverence I had for all of those artists and energy that came before me in terms of the music. Wait,
3: I have a question. Please tell me you have promo with DJ Silk on it somewhere.
1: I'm sure there is, and I also have like CDs that that I wrote my name on, and I I might have I got to dig in the basement. I got a lot of old stuff, but I might have a couple of promos, some D, from T-shirts. I need um, a shirt, bro. I want a shirt.
3: I need a shirt. Let
1: me, let me rephrase. I don't have T-shirts. I might have a T-shirt. So, we we were the most wanted crew, NWC, and our logo mm. was kind of like um, it was you. like a baby, but it wasn't like a biggie baby. It was a um, like a a little kid in. They looked like shell toes, but they didn't have the Adidas logo. Mm-hmm. With a big like ba- baby's kid diaper. I was
3: gonna say baby's and, kids, basically. <laughs>
1: yeah, so it's kind of like offshoot of that, and then the baby had a fitted on. So like we were the most wanted crew, and like the baby was our logo. So we might have like I might have a T-shirt where the baby was on the T-shirt, and then like one of our mixtapes was like, and we getting into like college politics and stuff that people don't have the backstory or understanding for. But like one of our mixtapes, one of our second or third mixtapes that we put together as a crew was called Still Droppin' Shit. Mm-hmm.
0: So we had like a new
1: logo for that, which was this dude with the same, it was by the same artist. So it was a dude sitting on the toilet with flies flying around and a, and a cap on, the pants at the ankles and those signature Adidas looking type shoes. So if you think about that Dave Chappelle skit when he's getting shot off the oh, toilet, yeah, it's kind of like, <laughs> like, like the image of it is kind of like that. But um, so I might have some of those in the basement somewhere, or I might even have a silk, uh, not a silk press, but whatever you call the press that. Oh that yeah, screen printing. Use. Yeah, the screen print, printing. Um, so I might have some of that in the basement or whatever that has my name on it. But in the end, like we were the most wanted crew and we weren't pressed about like, even though people knew us individually because, you know, we were, we were at a black school, a relatively small campus. There was like seven, 800 students on campus. So you pretty much know everybody on campus. So as individuals, we became known, but really people understood, like we were the most winning crew. And you know, that's what the engagement was. Who most was in about. that crew again? DJ Sakari, DJ Rod Nice. So DJ Sakari from Detroit by way of San Diego, DJ Rod Nice by way of uh, Detroit, myself. Um, DJ Silk. Of course, <laughs> DJ Silk by way of Columbus, Ohio. Uh, then we had like my, my man, uh, He he called himself magic mr mike he was actually the artist who did the uh artwork and he was kind of like one of the mcs and then my uh at one point he was my uh, college roommate his name is darren uh but we just called him d-boy and he just kind of was one of the then we had other folks like uh big kuntz uh mikey like people who just worked security or worked the door then we had and i can't remember their names and i feel so bad for it but we had these three dudes from samoa and they <laughs> were like I won't say stereotypic, but they were prototypical <laughs> Samoans and they were just the coolest motherfuckers you ever met. I feel like I knew them for two or three years and they said like five words the whole time, but <laughs> they worked security. They help us haul in speakers. They come, hang out. They work, work the door, you know, it, so like it, it was really a crew, but it was a family because there was other people who weren't part of the crew, but they understood and respected and appreciated what we were doing in part of the, for campus culture for entertainment and then also seeing like if you talk about this mid 90s late 90s time frame you know folks were doing stuff at at howard and hampton people were doing stuff down at 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 um at the au so clark morehouse spellman and and you know once again um the different djs whether it was um don cannon or uh th- that that crew like all these different spaces around specifically black colleges had these DJ crews and these entrepreneurial crews, whether it be in clothing and or music or other spaces that were growing up. And we were just that version in our space. So we were mm-hmm. doing stuff at, 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 you know, Kentucky State. We were doing stuff at University of Kentucky. we were doing stuff at U Um One of the great moments, and I know you didn't ask this, but I got to share it. One of the greatest moments that we had as a crew is like, literally we would draw. I don't even know where we were at. We were in Kentucky somewhere driving pull up to a barn a literal barn Uh -uh. and it's emptied out like there's no hay no horses or nothing set up the tables we set up speakers and like i feel like i look down and start setting stuff up and i look out look up and the barn is full of college kids i don't know where the fuck these motherfuckers came from (laughs) Uh, and it it was pretty predominantly black but it was still you know we in in the woods and i won't say the woods but we in the back hills somewhere in kentucky Mm -hmm. And we just having a barn party. And it was one of our like one of my greatest uh, memories of DJing because it was like I won't say it was like pure, but it really was. Like we were just in a space, having a good time. And of course, it it is not lost on me like Hey either had just dropped or was a new song. So like to literally mm. drop Hey in a barn in Kentucky. Wow. Like that's what I'm And make things. it home
3: alive. And yeah, and I'm still here to tell you
1: about the story. <laughs> so, you know, so once again, like, you know, the crews and we and for the most part, we all still stay in touch, even though um, I think only, well, Rod still DJs and all that. But like, I'm the only one for the most part that's heavily engaged in DJing. Like Sakari still DJs because of some health issues and different things. He doesn't do it as often. Um, but when he was in, you know, in, in Detroit, before he moved away from Detroit, he was part of the Five Ella crew. Um, he did some different things uh, across the city of Detroit, not just in, in terms of DJing, but hip hop culture, youth engagement, community engagement. So, all those things. But um, I say all that to say, like, you know, we still stay in touch and we'll always have that, like, that family bond of being like the crew. So, we're like, we're still I'm up the, to
3: the crew. the most
2: wanted crew. Shout out <laughs> to them. They seem very influential. And I was going to ask you who still DJs, but I'm glad you answered that. So, let's talk about you say you moved back to Columbus. Um, and tell us how those first couple of years went like like how'd you go about you know getting gigs and how your uh, dj career um started when you got back from college
1: all right so i'm gonna be as i'm not gonna say as honest like i'm not honest but i'm gonna be a little bit more honest than i usually am generally speaking so when i first got back it was hard because once again uh i had mean you know, i had my own turntables and mixer at that set so i was able to do parties but i wasn't like on the party scene so so like I wasn't what year was it to, this is 2000. okay okay. so great. i i came back in at the end of spring of 2000. so you know i came back and my first job was working for triple a so i was working you know second shift driving trucks uh and i enjoyed the job and i still dj from time to time um i did that for less than a year and, and got hired to be a kitchen manager so in the process of that like the kitchen manager knew a guy who was running a different restaurant who used to do like these after hours they weren't really raised, but you like to do these after hour type events in his restaurant space and the dj that dj'd i like he wasn't bad it wasn't better than me but he was not like, silk sure, <laughs> sure, sure wasn't but i also know like that crew wasn't my crew so like mm-hmm. getting the opportunity just to do a set order or you know those different things was difficult for me because I went away as one person basically, and I came back as a whole different person. Mm. So even though I still had some of my friends from high school, like nobody knew for the most part nothing about what I did and or who I was in the concept of being a DJ. Mm. Um, so at some point, in part because I had been friends with them for years, I became the show DJ for Spirit. And even inside of being the st- show DJ for Spirit, like I would be part of a show. And the other djs didn't want to let me rock with them i was like so i'm used so so half step back by the second year of me djing our campus parties changed we weren't just doing two turntables in a mixer anymore we were doing four turntables two j two djs for four hours mm-hmm. so like all of the campus parties became us to at least two guys sometimes three of us djing for these campus parties so i'm dropping instrumentals. Sakari's dropping an acapella or we doing blends? We're doing all this crazy, you know, crazy four turntable stuff at any, like, every campus party. It's not something special, not just Central State Weekend, but, like, every campus party is a fucking crazy. Anyway, so, like, I have that skill set and different skill sets. So, I'm doing shows with, with Spirit and we all DJing for the different artists. They don't want to let me spin with them. So, like, they don't want to give me a set but then it's like, all right, well, let's just all DJ together. You drop a song, I drop a blend. So even if I'm dropping blends along with them, they feel in a certain way. Now, it could be just me being mistaken and having a, a certain perspective that don't factor in what they were thinking or whatever, cause they weren't really communicating. But I really think like, half of these motherfuckers can't really blend. So me dropping blends on top of, of these motherfuckers who can't, who's struggling to hear the music as it is, I'm messing them up, not because I'm off beat, but because this skill set is beyond what they used to, or it's out of their comfort zone or whatever. So I try to be fair and not be judgmental. But in the end, it's like, we all here to do this show. It's not like you came with insert superstar here. Like we all doing a show at whatever, all of us, all these artists are local artists. So why is it you don't want to share the stage? I'm not asking mm. to use your equipment. I'm bringing my shit. I'm on my equipment, I'm doing. So there was those spaces where I could, I, I, I had to remind myself like I was new to them not new to this so i understood those politics and then even once i got my first um residency it was still like i might get paid 25 bucks because where
2: where was it at the first residency
1: snaps and taps so the the snaps and taps is gone you know a a storied poetry lounge so if you if you ever heard of scott woods vernell like the the Paco like there's so many names and I don't want to try to name them all because people are going to get left out it said but snaps and taps is is a was a poetry lounge um not too far from uh CCAD campus right cat a corner from uh art museum so that was my first um residency and I kind of fell into it so one of the cats carnell from so if if y'all are familiar columbus folks specifically with willoughby's carnell is one of the owners and and the founders lead head cook head chef i don't even know what his title is but of of willoughby's so he was part of spirit he somehow knew that they were looking for a dj to fill in on the hip-hop nights because whoever was doing it before wasn't available um i was like yeah I'll, i'll do it did the first night owner todd really liked it so todd asked me to come back which flipped into me having two nights a week and then you know so i would have like wednesday thursday if i'm not mistaken so folks like um I'm trying to think, like, if, if folks are familiar with Marshall Shorts. Uh, um, I forgot Dave's name, last name that fast. But like, so a lot of different folks who were very influential in, in the Columbus creative space, a lot of them were college students at the time where I started my residency there at Snaps and Taps and they would come over for college nights. So I was rocking the college nights, I was rocking the hip hop nights. And then every now and then I would come and also do some of the poetry nights, which and I know you didn't ask it, but I know where you're, where we're kind of going, which leads me to, and and y'all talked about it just last week, if I'm not mistaken, the concept of like doing gigs in part to be seen and get the exposure so people can see that you DJ and hear you DJ. So doing Snaps and Taps led me to linking with Wally and Alonzo, which pushed me into the space of working with Innate Enterprises, which moved me to being on FM Radio, led me to having the residency at the Red Zone, which led to the Brownstone and Opium and... So for a while, I was doing, uh, we had a monthly Wednesday event. Uh, we had a different monthly Thursday event. We were at a different place. We were at Opium, which used to be, I think it's a, it might be a Subway now or, or a law <laughs> office or something crazy. But right, across, right on High Street, across from the courthouse, there used to be this, I hate to use this as a reference, but some of y'all remember at some point, a former Ohio State running back was accused of yep. robbing someone. Yep. This is in the back of that used to be that <laughs> venue. So so I, I had a residency at Opium every Friday. Then we used to do the Red Zone Saturdays and then we would do Brownstone Sunday. So for a while mm-hmm. I was doing four or five gigs a week and still working, you know, at the time I was doing um insurance investigations, security, contract work and all those different things like contract type work. So I would work the day job then DJ, you know, three or four, sometimes five nights a week separate, which, you know, was really the push in the city and beyond learning about Crate Digger and what I do. And inside of that, doing all those different gigs, I got hired to do, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like a a youth summit or something that was happening at a hotel downtown. And all these different groups from around the uh, Ohio area came to this youth summit. So this one group out of Akron, not just saw me DJ, but heard me playing neo soul. Because to be honest, and it, it still happens now, it's a lot less now than before. Like when I was rocking neo soul, there was very few DJs playing it, in, in part because it was like it wasn't that hard club shit. Like people want to hear Dipset, they want to hear Busta, they want to hear all the club shit, which I was playing in the club. But I was also doing the neo soul stuff that people was making fun of, and and uh, you know the Andre 3000 and the crazy pants and the and <laughs> the crazy hat and the Erykah Badu sandals and innocence and all the stuff that comes along with that with that i call it snark because i don't take it personal but like so a lot of people was like oh that's that's basically they we're like that's soft shit i wouldn't mind him playing it because we had people coming out to enjoy it my fm radio the, the fm show that i was on on the the radio show i was on on fm radio wasn't just me playing whatever it was a neo soul radio show only one until that time, the only one since on FM radio in Columbus. Yeah. So, like, I understood and respected the space that people had the interest in that. So I still like to say the cats from, from Akron was like, yo, we heard you playing, you know, Dwele and Raheem and some of these other folks that are household names now. Eric Roberson, etc., etc." Like, that's dope. We don't really hear cats playing that. I was like, yeah, I, I do this all the time which led to me then having a residency at the University of Akron and doing shows Mm -hmm. with, you know, Brand Nubian, and shit, the list is so long, Brand Nubian and uh, MC Light, um, uh, Foreign Exchange several times, kindred several times uh van hunt like the list goes on and on but a lot of my kind of major industry connects happened because i had these residencies of these different spaces mm-hmm. that were bringing in a very specific clientele um to let me build those relationships so like so it got to the point that like for example foreign exchange anytime they come to the columbus area they're calling me to like yo we come in on this day you available we need you to open up you know mm-hmm. i got friendships with zoe and fonte and nicolay and many more artists so like these are like friend like these are literally people who i can call like i can pick up the phone and call and even if they're busy i leave a voicemail or hit them with a text they respond back like we have genuine Mm -hmm. friendships that were based in part on meeting as artists on the same stage um so like that's kind of the progression that you asked about as far as like my career and how these different things kind of lined up right. and some people might call it luck or whatever but at the same time and you guys kind of spoke about it as well as like like you get these opportunities but there's plenty of opportunities like God I wasn't ready for. Right. Or or didn't happen and I'm glad they didn't happen cuz if I would have had if I would have gone through with them thinking I was ready and looking in hindsight and knowing I wasn't ready, not knowing what that would have messed up for me down the road.
2: Right, yeah. Uh I don't think it's lucky, you know, it's all about timing. It's all about Yeah everything happens on the right time um i do want to go back a little bit and ask you a quick question on when you were practicing in college uh what kind of equipment were you using and secondly you say you have all these you had all these weekly gigs this was before serato i know those crates would have been crazy so how did you prepare music for each night but definitely answer the equipment question because i'm curious about what mixer you was using
1: so in college sakari had two 1200s and he had a Gemini, I want to call it a 6, it wasn't a 626. I can't remember the the model, but it was, we called it the Tank. It was a four-channel, <laughs> and it was one of the, the the long mixers. So I don't know, like, what y'all's mixer understanding or, or, re- or reference points are. Mm. But it was a four-channel mixer that had the long setup. Instead of a, a vertical, it was a very much a horizontal mixer. Horizontal. And then it had EQs, and, and it had the... Um, the the switch, the yep. line phono switch at the top yep. so you could do um transforming with the switch if you wanted uh-huh. and then um I can't remember if it had a a master volume fader or a master volume knob, but we used to call it the tank. It was just a long, you know, four channel um Gemini mixer, but he had the 2 techs. Rod had 2 techs and he had a I think Rod had a a Pioneer but I don't remember which one it was. It was one of the gold-plated ones. So one of those kind of infinite, I think it was 07, 05 mm-hmm. or 07. And then at some point, uh, Sakari upped to a, a Pioneer 07. Um, so for those who are not familiar, like if you look at any of those like cl- classic DMC, mid ninety, late-90s DMC kind yeah. of DJ battle mixers like the Pioneer 07, 07A, sometimes the 05 were like, they were the best, they were considered the best mixer for hip-hop DJs, especially turntabless.
2: I had a uh, real quick. I had a Gemini. My first mixer was a six two six. So yeah,
1: yeah. My my, uh, my first one was a six two six. But my first turntables were the Gemini DD. I want to say like S fifties or something. They were direct drive, mm-hmm. but like they didn't have a motor that that detects. Oh yeah. So part of part of why that was good for me is because I had 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 to develop a skill set and a touch to be mm-hmm. able to do all these different things on my Geminis that I was practicing doing on the techs. So I would practice things on the text. but when I got my own turntables, those DD50s don't respond the same. So I gotta be able to f- develop my touch uh, to, to, to do the same things on my own equipment. So down the line, when I didn't have the financial resources all the time to buy 1200s, I was using Numarks. Mm. Now the Numarks I was using, uh, the TT200s, I loved them because they were relatively uh, light. Yeah, they had a plus minus of 10 instead of 8. So when I was doing stuff with a band, I had a wider level of flexibility creatively because I had those extra 2% of pitch Mm -hmm. control on the top and bottom half. And once again, they didn't have the same motor that the Tech 12s had. But once again, because I had a certain touch, I didn't – and I I don't want to say this – judge. I try to say this without judgment. I didn't require – the the turntables help in that way because i had the touch so everything i did on the gemini's i could do on the new marks and i could definitely do it on the 1200s but i didn't have to have the 1200s to be able to do all these different things
2: i also want to emphasize that they were lighter they're super light because uh 1200s are heavy for no reason and i also want to point out real quick before you continue that he uh has mentioned several times that on a certain episode we said something and i appreciate that because that means he I actually listens to every episode. So we got to yeah. watch what we say because he's always listening. Oh,
3: well, now I'm so conscious. I'm like, oh, my God, I know I'll be clowning on this show. Like, I got to oh, step oh, it up oh, a notch. Oh,
2: don't, don't worry. I don't,
1: I don't think much of you before. So you
2: don't have to <laughs> <laughs> Nah, but, yeah, so, um, you like I said, you mentioned um different, you know, Dipset and all of that and and, and you doing Neo Soul and all that. So that's a bunch of records because this is before Serato. Um, about when you go to a gig, about how many records would you have on you? And also, like, how did you go about shopping for records?
1: All right, so generally speaking, back before I started using Serato, I would have four cases of records. Um, I, and depending on when, what gig I was doing, like those four cases would change out. But I have four cases of records, which held about 40 to 45 records a piece. And then i would usually have a backpack that had all of my reggae records in it. Um, mm-hmm. So I would, at minimum, I would have four cases in a backpack that had music. Um, so when I was doing like the Red Zone, I knew that there were certain s- songs that they want to hear because at this time I was doing the front room, the standard lounge. So I was responsible for that Neo Soul kind of future groove. And then Steph Floss had a residency in the main room. So he was doing like the heavier, more, I will not want to call it hardcore, but straightforward hip hop stuff. So mm-hmm. I was able to focus on having, you know, my, my um, Dwele, Raheem's, yeah. my... Guapalays, my Kindred and all those different artists I was playing and I could max out my crates in that and then do some old school classic hip hop like EPMDs, Black, um, Black Sheep, et cetera, et cetera. So that was kind of my the mainstay of my crates for the Friday nights. Flipping to the Saturday nights and the Sunday nights I had I had a bit wider range. So I'm playing, you know, still some of that same stuff. But once again, I'm, I'm flipping my, and I these are the four, same four cases. So it's not like I got four cases for each night. So i'm taking all those records out then putting in my red man and my uh, A. Marie and my jay-z's and all the stuff i need for the more hip-hop or more wider range club stuff you know the ludicrouses and the slim thugs and all the stuff i was doing for the um when i was d- djing at the cove and doing um brownstone so like once again it was those four cases of records so so once again, four cases of records, backpack with reggae, but I still had a bag that had my mixer in it and I still had cases that had my turntables. So when you talk about loading into the club, it's, two turn- it's a trip with two turntables in a backpack, another backpack with music and two cases of records, and then a third trip with two cases of records. And that's not to mention if I got to bring, you know, sometimes I would have another bag that just has my headphones and extra needles and, you know, just just that once again, as y'all mentioned, like that bag of stuff you need as a DJ. Now, because I didn't have to bring sound for most of these, it was a little easier because I didn't have to bring XLRs and all those, but I still need to XLR for my mics. I still need to make sure I had XLRs to make up for whatever the sound guy or whatever venue say, oh yeah, we got sound. You walk in, you'd be like, this is (laughs) true. So like I had those things to be ready to fill the gaps, but it, it, you know, it was DJing, you know, pre was very much a physical engagement as well as a, a creative. It was a physical engagement before, before you even got to the space of being able to be artistic and creative.
3: I'm actually shocked by all of the items that you had to carry because I know how tight these spaces are. Right. Like now... I can't imagine, like, where did you even put all this stuff?
1: <laughs> you, you figured it out. So like at the red zone, it's like, I don't know, most of I don't know, I won't say most of you, but I, I'm sure a lot of folks haven't seen pictures of what that space looked like, you know, 20 years ago. But basically the turntables were up on this old counter that they bracketed down to cement blocks on, the, on this. It wasn't even a stage. It was just like a step up. And on the far right side, there was a monitor speaker. So the monitor speaker sat here. We had the turntables, the mixer. Um, and then you know my Red Bulls and waters and cranberry juices and all that would sit right by the monitor. And then behind me, I had a little bit of space on the floor and then there was a window that looked back into like the VIP lounge that was behind the DJ booth. So I would put two cases of records up in that window. I would put everything else on the floor and you have to make it work. You know, other spaces have, you know, even less space. So when I was in the Brownstone in the basement, I'm down there with a f- three, four, five piece band sometimes. And this is back like, so once again, I'm, I'm telling some history here, like this is back when they had that fish tank in the basement. So this is before like it was, I can't remember what it's called now, and it'll come back to me. But like- talking about the Pelican did, Room, right? Yeah, Pelican Room. So before it was a Pelican Room, and it was some other things before it was Pelican Room, like you used to be able to walk downstairs, and then you, when you first walk in the space, you're looking right at the bar, you move around to your right, and then curve around into the main space. There used to be a way where people could go to the left, and back, and it it wasn't really like a hallway, but it was like a hallway with a, and you could come around the other side, and there used to be this big-ass fish tank in there. So people used to sit on that backside where that that kind of dead end is now. People used to sit there. The band and the DJ would be in the main space to where people perform now, and it used to be, like I said, sometimes a five-piece band, a DJ, uh, a couple of background singers, lead singer, and then on the other side where people sit now, you know, people were sitting then, And then, of course, all the stand stand around at the bar and all that. So this shit was crazy. And once again, this is before the the smoking ban. So there used to be a cigar thing upstairs. So you walk in, it's just cigar smoke, cigarette smoke, like the shit. I'm surprised we're still alive to talk about it, quite frankly. That shit was (laughs) ridiculous. But anyway, you know. So once again, to the space, it's like you just made space. So like, I just you have to pick out my corner. And once I got behind the tables, I was there until the show was over, unless I absolutely had to leave cuz there was nowhere to go. I just put my records behind me on this little like this is like a little ledge or step up, you know, before they did a little bit of construction that I just stacked them there. I pulled my table back as close as, as I could without being feeling like I was going to fall backwards into the wall and we just made it work. And the shit was crazy, and I'm sure it was against the law to have as many people in that basement as we did but you know, we so did I'm what sure. we did.
3: I'm sure like you had to really know like your crates or your cases, like you couldn't just arbitrarily throw vinyl in something. Like you kind of had to have like maybe a a system system that way you weren't up there. Just kind of (laughs) like, where where is that one?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely, as with all things, like I am a very systematic person It's like, I set certain things up so I don't got to think about them because I wanna leave that space for me to use that brain power to do other things. So with that being said, like one thing that I loved about DJing pre-Serato is I could look at my crates and I could see what music I had. So even if I wasn't looking for that record, I could see it and I had that bookmark in my mind, like, all right, I'm gonna come back around to that. Or So, so I had things, generally speaking, I would have like neo-soul R&B up front and then just move into the heavier Hip hop stuff, and I would have all my JC stuff together, all my ludicrous or deep D- um, DTP stuff. And you kind of see it behind me like this is all Def Jam. Like, er, like. Oh, I see people who know, know that, like, maroon, that maroon, yep, yeah, yep. that's Def Jam. So, this is Def Jam, this is Def Jam R&B, or Def Jam South, and then this is the other, the black Def Jam kind of came out later. But this is all Def Jam, so this all used to sit together in a crate. All this right here is gray. Those who know, know that the gray is the, is the Rockefeller joint. So all the Jay-Z, Rockefeller, Emil, Um, Myth Bleak, Beanie, blah, blah, blah. That's all the gray stuff. This is all the white stuff. Those that know that that bad boy, bad boy. label with the white with the footprint, I think it was, or the, the, the Timbaland footprint and yep. the baby or whatever. So, like, that's how my records were organized. And then we have, for those who don't know, or, or aren't hip, like white labels. So these are just white white or black sleeves with a record in them that's an unofficial release. So it don't have all, it's just, it may say, Jay-Z Blah Blah Remix, or, you know, it, it may, so it's kind of like, to kind of make a, a, a connection, like, For those of you who used to go on Napster, for example, and pull these five (laughs) songs and put them on a CD, like that's what these are. These are like just somebody had the way had a way to they had a song and they had access to pressing up. So they might have pressed up 500 or a thousand and they just moving them. Some may go to record stores to get sold as white labels, a dollar a piece. Some go to DJs, whatever. But all my white labels would sit together. And then once again, because I had a system, I knew generally what not that I went down the line, but I knew like if I pull this one. Um, record, unless it's in a stack of Rockefeller, Jay Z, Bad Boy, whatever. I knew that two or three records each direction was an option for me to go from that record. So I kind of built my my cases in that kind of system to where I'm not just looking for anything and everything by looking through everything. Right. But mm. so so to tie in why that's different, like Serato is beautiful because I can walk in like I will for Orisota, with nothing but a backpack, with just my laptop. I don't have to bring no turntables. I don't have to bring no crates. I don't have to bring a mixer. Like, I'm just gonna walk in like a vagabond. I got a backpack, I got one (laughs) bag, and I'm dragging my ass in. Right. And I got 45,000, well, more than that, but I got 45,000 songs at my disposal. Now, of course, we got to shrink it down because we sitting inside of a time frame. but Mm -hmm. that's another thing, like, especially when I speak to youth groups and reminded them, like, yo, when I was first learning to DJ, you had to physically have a record for any song you want to play. And if I wanted to give you this song to play, either I had to give you the record to have, give it to you to borrow until you got your own. There was no copying and sending or down. Like you had to have a physical, actual copy of anything you wanted to play. And don't let that bitch get scratched.
2: (laughs) That's like I buy doubles.
1: Yeah. Or yeah. Or don't let it be something that you've had for years and you just came across on the humbug and don't know where to get another one. Right. So like there's so many different, um, I don't want to call them hazards, but like it was just a different engagement. Um, so I appreciate being able to physically see all of my records to know what I had to pull from. Mm. So my brain can kind of do that, like in the background while I'm DJing, as opposed to looking at a screen and thinking like, hmm, what am I going to play next? Knowing I got 50,000
2: yeah. choices. That's the, um, uh, and, yeah. and uh, if you see DJs, you don't even need a laptop, you just use a, jump, a flash drive. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. even less. I ain't gonna let him stun on me though. So look, if you look back here, I got yeah. one one corner he got of records. You <laughs> got, to-
1: got, got a Target Cube. You got one <laughs> right. Target Cube. I got
2: one Cube, <laughs> but I definitely have the, uh, I got some Def Jam, I got some Bad Boy. Um, I got some, I got World. I, I got some shit in there, you know? Yeah. No, yeah. but um, so, uh, Serato. So I feel like, I said this on the podcast, if I had to carry crates, I I would be the dopest graphic designer or something else. Because <laughs> ain't no way. <laughs> I mean, and, and just a financial investment, too. Because uh, when I started DJing, you know, um, Bear Share and all that was going crazy. So I could just download the songs for free. Allegedly. 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 Um, but so in your opinion, because uh, shout out to Trav Dave, he told me a story about you was right
1: one <laughs> oh about, wait wait let's back up he told your story about me or he was just telling you a story
2: a story that involved okay, okay. you about serato oh, wait 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 all
1: right now keep going, keep going.
2: <laughs> now um so i guess um i'm loosely telling a story here but uh um jay Rawls messed the uh the uh, beat nuts yep yep right and so and so he, he had the new york connect so uh, he he got his hands on Serato and brought it to Columbus, and I guess he was one of the first ones with it too. So Serato really, when I first started um, DJing, shout out to Paz too, because he went to high school with my sister. He was over at my sister's house. I remember when I said I wanted to be a DJ, he was there. He said, "Get Serato; it's going to change your life, and so and it's going to take care of everything, make it so much easier for you." And that was in '07. So I feel like Serato changed changed the game, and I also feel like technology um, makes it it's an easier point of entrance. So that also opened the floodgates for people that weren't as passionate about it. So talk, talk to us about your experience with Serato early days and how you think, um, not only, not just Serato, but you know, CDJs, um, other CD turntables, you know, uh, techniques had CD turntables too. Just t- talk to us about how technology, but specifically Serato, um, affected your career and just affected DJ culture overall from your perspective.
1: All right. So for me, there's a lot of different like little cut-ins that I'm gonna try to add to this as we move forward to tell the whole quote unquote story. Um, but yeah, so Jay Rawls through his connect with, with uh of uh, the infamous Beat Junkies was the one who, to my knowledge, now I'm not gonna say he was the absolute first, but he was the one first one that I was aware of who had Serato in, in Columbus. So I was like, Serato, what? Uh, explain it to me again. It was like, yeah, there's this box, you plug it into me. I was like, whatever. And I went back to, you know, being crate. <laughs> digger Great so baby. at one point one day i remember o walked into the club to dj i said yeah and he just had a backpack and i was like what the fuck this what the fuck is he doing like what kind of and he plugged this box in and ran these wires and had a laptop and i was like all right i'm out i got another gig to go to i don't know so right. i say all that to say i was a very slow adopter of serato even when i first used it it wasn't it was Serato, but it was Scratch Live. Yeah. Scratch Live and Serato DJ Now are not the same. Scratch Live in 2015 and Scratch Live in 2007 are not the same. I did not like it. Mm. I could feel the latency. Even if it was very minuscule, I could feel the difference between rocking actual vinyl that I had been doing every night, every weekend for seven, no, actually 10 years by that time. I, I could tell the difference. It was... And once again, it wasn't like, you know, two cans connected by a string kind of crazy <laughs> latency, but I could feel the difference. I didn't like it, I was cool on it. I think what really turned me around to it, in part with the improvement of the technology, at some point I was going out of town to do a gig. And what I paid in baggage was equal to or nearly more than what I was getting paid to do the gig, to get all my records, my cases and all that shit to the to the, to the venue. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I can't, I'm, Either I stay in Columbus and only DJ in Columbus, or I got to make some changes. Um, so I, you know, started working with Serato. It was helpful because along with some other things that happened, at some point, I think it was 2000 and I lost track of what year it was, but I had my turntables and mixer stolen. So like somebody broke into my truck. They stole my turntables, my mixer, my compressor, and... I think they tried to steal my records, but, like, they were heavy, and I think they realized. There was only uh, so one I person. Know, yeah, so I, I don't know if they, I don't know what happened, but, like, my record cases were not lost, and my reggae bag that they grabbed, they threw in a bush, so I think they were just looking and saw that it. was It wasn't stuff they could resell. Whatever. It was what out of here. Yeah, so my record bag got th- thrown in the bushes. So I say all that to say, like, I, I've had to replace turntables. I've had to replace mixers um I haven't had to replace like having my records stolen but with all that being said like as I was having these different experiences and moving forward I was seeing the ease with which I could walk in with my turntables my mixer and a laptop and use Serato and it was less wear and tear not drastically but it was less wear and tear on my needles I wasn't worried about breaking records or having records that had skips and then once again, um, shout out to DJ JC. So DJ JC was the show DJ for Ludacris at the time. Uh, Ludacris came to Columbus, did a show. JC came to the club and he was watching me DJ. He just tapped me on the shoulder. and was like, yo, man, you know, if you move it to uh, relative mode, you don't have to worry about the skips. I was like, what? This nigga's crazy. What is this? What is this? What, is this? What, what kind of down south voodoo right. is this? What kind of wizardry is this? Yeah." <laughs> So I hit that REL and I realized like, oh shit, whole different world. But I say that to say even inside of all of us using Serato, and we can kind of talk about this later if we got time, but even inside of us using Serato, like uh, most, and and once again, I say this without any judgment, like most of us were using it in its most basic bare minimum form. We weren't pushing into the technology to figure out how we can maximize the technology. We were just using it and being okay with like, oh, I don't gotta take, I don't gotta carry records. I, didn't, I mean, I'm not going to lie and say I looked forward to carrying records, but, yo, I was carrying records since before I was fucking DJing. And I, n- not just carrying records, but I was carrying record crates. That's a different experience than carrying a record case. So imagine picking up a case of records that has a handle. Yeah, it may be heavy, but it's a case. It got a handle. You'll be all right. Carrying record crates is a different experience in part because some of these crates ain't made, but actually let's back up. No milk crate is made to carry records. Thanks. Made to carry milk. <laughs> so sometimes you got crate, you got records in the crate that aren't like perpendicular, they're angled. So you got to slide your fingers into these little spaces and get them. And then you're fucking up your, the, the your beds of your cuticles and crushing oh, your knuckles. The cuticles. And then some, uh, handles on the on the milk crates have cracked or whatever cuz you've been stacking them 20 high in a car and all this other bullshit so you're grabbing on the plastic and the plastic is cracking you couldn't it's a whole it's a whole caveman type experience when you're talking about carrying record crates don't let the motherfuckers fall over on you or 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 crack and drop one on your just the whole thing is is bullshit so i didn't look forward to carrying crates or cases but i had been doing it since day one so even though i didn't like it or it was part of the thing i didn't see it as this thing that i i can't wait till i don't do this no more i saw it uh-huh. as as just the, the the cost of admission to get to do this thing that i loved doing like a lot of djs don't like to set up i want to set up unless it's very something very specific i want to set my shit up because that's part of my pregame that's part of my preparation and i know it'll be done right
2: yeah, so that's, that's a big thing. Yeah. So,
1: so yeah, so so to your back to your question, Serato and it allowing the, the the barrier for entrance to come down, like I think that's a good thing because, like I said, I had ideas about in, in the concepts of putting music together way before I was ever a DJ. Had had I had an easier space to get into that, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But, and I say this in in terms of a lot of different things, people's why determines their how and once again i'm going to say this and it's going to come across how it's going to come across it's not meant (laughs) to be judgmental it's it's how i feel if you're getting into the game djing to be famous to get tail to all those things not not, i was going to say Janie. he's showing his (laughs) age i'm trying and i don't know why because y'all know i cuss like all the time but i'm really trying to like be selective. But like if if it's about getting guys or girls or both or whatever, like I'm not mad at you and I don't have I can't tell you that's not a good reason or you shouldn't do it for that reason, but you're not going to invest in $700 turntables, a $1600 mixer and you're not going to spend $200, $300 a week at times on wax if like I'm just doing this to to get my name on a flyer or because by being on stage and having people come up to me it boosts my ego or i just want to or once again they don't have to be like nefarious or bad it's like oh i just like playing music you know at this little bar or club or whatever and it's just fun and i i don't i i enjoy doing it so i just come and do it for drinks and chicken wings or whatever the <laughs> why ever you do it yeah, i don't care but once again room. your why determines your how so if it's not about being an artist per se or doing it for the profession of it or doing it to put food on the table for your family generally speaking you're going to approach it that way i tell people all the time like i get it like i go to fucking old navy and gap and i buy jeans and as long as my ass and balls are covered i'm cool i don't want high waters but i don't get pressed about like the cut and the stitch but people in the fashion be like oh old navy jeans are shit and they could tell you all the reasons why these pair of jeans are trash i'm like yeah you might be right but guess what for 25.99 <laughs>
2: i'm covered
0: <laughs> I'm
1: covered
2: so like so i i, I get it
1: but like DJing is my thing so I'm not mad about however people get into it but I do start to to feel a certain way when people try to make their why like validate some of the bullshit that people do and on the flip side there's a lot of cats who, who whether they veterans or new like who do it the quote unquote the old school or the right way and they be on some bullshit too. Mm. so in the end like my thing is and I haven't always been as open-minded as I am now and I'm gonna be very honest like when I, I grew up and learned DJ in a certain context so I know there was DJs on the radio and I know there like I understood the word had different connotations but like what I saw a lot of wedding DJ DJs doing even if they were good at playing music like oh that's not really DJing but not nah, it is it wasn't like I had to understand like I'm a hip-hop DJ So even if I'm playing fucking Shania Twain or like, it don't matter what kind of music I'm playing. I'm and not just I as a hip hop DJ, but crate motherfucking digger is going to do certain things because I am a hip hop DJ. I'm a scratch. I'm a cut. I'm a bring it back and back. I'm a double. I'm a juggle. And I'm a drop these samples and these foundation joints. Now, am I going to do it all night and people can't dance to the music? No, that's not what I'm saying. But, I'm a hip hop DJ and I for a long time couldn't understand or didn't see the relevancy and, and the connection between people who are not hip hop DJs mm-hmm. being called DJs because for me being a DJ meant this thing and I was so wrong about that but at the same time a lot of folks are calling things that are not DJing DJing I tell people all the time like we, we could put fucking monkeys in space that don't make them astronauts
2: <sighs> talk to them <laughs> like, like
0: like
1: cars cars drive themselves So, but once again, like just because you drive a fast car, don't make you a race car driver.
2: Right. Or,
1: yeah, like so I can drop you into an Indy car. And even if you know how to drive stick, you may be able to get that car to go. But you're not a fucking race car driver. And there's only so much, which means really little, that you can say to a race car driver. If you're not a fucking race car driver. Right. Now, you can tell me what you do and don't like. But if I'm a chef and I have a restaurant and I got these blue ribbons, you can tell me you don't like this or that and don't like it. But you can't really tell me shit about cooking unless you hold a certain space, have certain experiences, during certain research, have a certain education background base to it. And Another, I think that's where we at. A lot of people, once again, a lot of people's opinions get held up in the same vein of people's professional experience. And that shit uh, ain't always the same.
0: Uh.
2: Another great analogy is that uh, I was asking somebody like, it, uh, in Europe, this is a photographer. I was like, "If you're a, in your opinion, if nobody's, if somebody's never developed film, do you think they're a photographer?" He was like, "Oh, well, you know, there's different ends you know, and outs." I was like, "Cool." So does that mean that somebody doesn't own records, then they're not a DJ? And it was like, "Oh, I see what you mean." But on the flip side, because you just because you develop film, I mean you a dope photographer either. Like you just know how to do one skill. Mm-hmm. So I think it's you know,
1: yeah, and I it, think part of the problem is we get so I won't say we, but generally speaking, like there's been this more recent and it, more recent because technology allows it, this push to have the title. Like once again, I don't wanna get into this old school, new school thing because I think there's there's valid points to each side, but it, like in the end we just like mutual, you know, what do they call it? Uh, mutual assured d- d- destruction or whatever the term is. But like you couldn't be called a DJ until you did certain things and not just physically doing but like you had to show a certain skill set before you could even be called a DJ or other DJs be like nah you nah and not only nah but you're you're not getting on these tables you're not using my equipment you know, cuz part of it too was like even e- whether it was official or or kind of just in the culture like burn talks about all the time not having an OG like that's dope in the context of being self-taught and bringing yourself up but that is very anti typical to hip hop DJing culture
0: Mm.
1: it's always been whatever DJ had these other people whether it's people who come to him and want to learn or people who just hang around and picked up on it and started to learn but having that tutelage has always been part of the culture and the breakdown in that I'm not saying it has to happen that way but the breakdown in that I'm seeing different results from that so once again I say that to say like if you learned under DJ insert whoever's name here. And you was out in the in the streets fucking around, you didn't just look bad for you, (laughs) but you look bad because you learned under so and so. You came out to remember that so and so. So (laughs) like so for me, you know, even though I wasn't trying to become a DJ, I also understood and respected the fact that like I hang out with Sakari even before we formed most women crew. Like I I learned under Sakari. So even if it's just on campus, I can't just be out here doing just enough to get by to to be cute to the girls. Cause I'm now I'm making my man look suspect and I'm not going to put his name on the line. I'm damn sure. Not gonna put mine on the line, but I'm not putting his name on the line. So once again, like the, the there's different culture spaces that are shifting. And my whole point of this part was like, people are so focused on having the title. Like I'm, to be able to list all these titles of these things that you do just because you do these things. Like I've, Put on events, but I'm not a promoter. Can I put on an event? Can I plan and put on an event? Yes, but I'm not a fucking promoter. I'm not. Now I have some skill sets that allows me to do some things, but I'm not a promoter. I'm not. I know how to make promoter, noise with a guitar. <laughs> I, I know how to make noise with a guitar that's 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 melodious and harmonic, and I use guitar inside of my productions. But I tell people all the time, I'm not a guitar player. I know how to use the instrument but I'm not a guitar player. Same thing with piano. I know how to use a piano to add to my musical productions, but I'm not a piano player. That's so why. A lot of people think they play music and they a fucking DJ. And I'm like, I'm not the one to say no, but I'm saying no.
2: You can say no. <laughs> you can say, uh so you started uh 20, 25. Uh, you started in 97? Yes, sir. Risha, what was you doing in 97?
4: I was Slimming. potty training, probably.
2: Riva, what was you doing in 97 drinking
3: (laughs) i I was 10
2: i I was a monroe eagle middle school so my point is that crate been djing literally since some of y'all was shitting in pampers so (laughs) like yeah if if anybody says whatever he
3: wants he can say whatever he wants to me and
2: anybody else i do want to have like a real quick full circle moment and then we'll get into some light questions um Crate is a reason why we're here, not just this interview, but the reason why this podcast is this, and let me tell you why. Way back in the day, the first person I knew had a podcast was Crate Digga, um, and I still listen to that duelle mix to this day, and um, I think it was a Lupe mix too, there's a couple of them, um, and so I was like, oh man, how, like I don't know if I asked you directly, or I just found it on my own, but just uh, on the Mac, they had an easy way to set up a podcast and a website upload your own mixes and so that's how I started WBRN radio and doing my own mixes and that was in 2010 or something and then I just stopped doing that last year and then that's why we're here now cuz this is a podcast. So like I said full circle moment because that was inspired by what I heard him do. Um but i have a very light question to ask you um that's not on the list. um you're the only person I've seen eat candy when they DJ. What's the what's the point of the candy and what's some of your favorite candy to eat while you DJing?
1: All right, so I have a horrible sweet tooth and I, I, am not ashamed of it. Anybody who knows me knows I have a crazy sweet tooth. Now in the past, well, this year specifically, I've, I've had a very intentional push to not drink Red Bulls. And so we are here like mid, was it mid early February? And I've, I've had like a half a can of Red Bull to this point, which is a big deal. Cause I usually drink a Red Bull a day with that being said, like most times, unless it's very, very specific, I don't, I don't eat while I'm DJing in part because Anyone who see me DJ knows I'm touching the records and the mixer a lot. Um, and not just for the sake of, like, not getting food on. Like, I'm an active DJ. I don't have time to stop and eat and No snack. downtime. So, like, so for me, just to get that, that sugar rush and be good to go or to snack on it, like, it's just easy. I can grab a bag of jelly beans or some dots or – so I'm answering both questions at the same time. Some jelly beans or some dots – um dots. raisinets m&ms dots Look, is I,
2: fire chill Cheer, yeah. chill yeah. is
4: showing your age my <laughs> so, mama's so, favorite candy is dots. i mean it's
1: not like it's not like i bought like a box of dots, dots in 84 and i'm still eating out <laughs> like they sell them in the stores now right like, you they like sell salt them currently water,
3: taffy too? That <laughs> that's yeah, actually and good peanut yeah, and, brittle, and like, got candy, and that, candy, 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 candy uh, and
1: cigarettes pop caps <laughs> all of that was <laughs> that what is that stuff that used to come on the paper the little dots that you used to oh, oh wow. anyway I, I don't i don't eat those i'm just <laughs> okay telling cool. you how old i am on this old ass candy i remember anyway so like it's just it's, it's part because of my sweet tooth and in part because it's just a quick sugar rush i can get what you know snacking on something that's not going to make a mess that i can throw in my backpack um and just and just keep going
2: yeah because at-
3: your brother bring you some candy at one of your gigs i'm sure i'm pretty sure
1: there's several times where i will put out the back signal like yo it's an emergency yeah anybody on their way up to pelican room like so Shouts out to my brother Shouts out to dj jama there's a couple times where people very specifically are like like either i know that they're coming or i'll just put it on twitter like yo if anybody's coming up to pelican room um a brother could would appreciate two sneakers if i'm not mistaken. I don't want to swear to it, but part of me feels like when I did Orange Soda in 2019, Jayma brought me two Snickers, if I'm not mistaken. I think JMA came through yeah, with a couple I of think so. cause I think so. Because that was just one of them long days, and it had snowed earlier that day. And it was just – so, yeah, so, like, you know, there's times where – and I'm going to say another thing. It's like I'm not great about eating. Like, I don't eat well. I don't eat healthy. I don't eat regularly. So, like, by the time it is time for me to DJ – is. Most times it's been a long day because whether it's preparation or other things I'm doing. And so, you know, 10, 30, 11, 12 o'clock, I might not have eaten since before six. So we got another two hours and I'm not all I'm right. not big on I do drink alcohol, but I'm not big on drinking. So I tell people all the time, like to that question, like I don't smoke crack. So, you know, a little bit of a, a sugar rush, a little, you know, a little sweet tooth ain't gonna kill me.
3: I mean, I can you know. bring you some
1: crack if you want uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> however,
2: the, however. The fact that,
1: the fact that you know how to
2: get some yeah, so easily the is <laughs> the problem. Thank you. However, um, five dogs should be the example. Yes. As far as, uh, you know, sugar, diabetes and all that. So yeah, I mean, just in careful. general,
1: I, I, being healthy. Like, so we just talk about in 2021 alone, we're talking about biz. We're talking about DMX. we talking about Black Rob. And uh, There's so many that I feel bad trying to list them. And, and to kind of tie it, I don't want to take it on a tan- tangent, but I'm doing, I'm in the middle of this 30-day, even though there's only 28 days in February, this 38, the 30-day 30 podcast challenge. And we're on day six now. And of all of the groups that I've, artists or groups that I've talked about in the in the six days of February, only one of those groups I did not have to put a RIP at the end of the video for. So we talk about Tribe Called mm. Quest. We're talking about Run DMC. We're talking about Gangstar. we talk about Heavy D and the Boys. We're talking about... Uh, biz Marquee and you know gangs i feel like i already said gangstar but it's like all of these different groups at least one member of all these groups now they didn't all die in 2021 but at least one artist in all these groups are gone for several different reasons but once again it's like you know i had to to be a bit more uh intentional about you know having better habits now are they going to be perfect never but i can't say because it's not perfect it can't be better
2: for sure um, I'm bringing
3: so, you a of honey, on Friday.
2: <laughs> <laughs> those is good too. Maybe I'm I old too. I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, uh, real quick. Orange Soda is this Friday, February 11th. This is the second time Craig Diggle will be there, also with DJ Step One, me, myself, and don't fret. Uh, make sure that you get your tickets early because it's going to be a smoker as usual. Uh, last time he was there, he went crazy. He did. A, he did a great job. That's easily in everybody's top five. Orange Soda events so it's going to be a good show make sure you come out um, me say this. I'm,
1: I'm going on early which i i like the opportunity to like i think i'm going on right after reva actually am i
2: i'm gonna tell you that changed because okay. because you and step one we hold y'all in such high regard me and reva are actually going first so i think you're going at 12 and he's going at one so
1: oh, all right that, that's cool too i was just looking forward to <laughs> to doing stuff to snub my nose at her but Right. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I'll find a way to be. A, I might uh,
3: not even be there by the time you on, baby. I am back I, in the I think, I think that's
1: best for everybody. I think that's <laughs> best for everybody. No, so for those that know, like Reeve, Reeve is like family. She and my brother went to school together and they ran uh, cross country and tracked for my pops. So she's like a, a little sisters. So I always give her a hard time, but it's all love. And it's, it's love. It is dope to see her progression as well because I, I definitely knew her before she was a DJ.
3: We don't um, gotta get into that. We this ain't that type of podcast. Right. I, I, we can have this conversation I'm, offline. Next look,
1: look, question, Bert. After she got done saying I can say whatever I want. Now I gotta be quiet. <laughs> no,
3: on mm, so
1: that, yeah, we. I've known her for 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 a while, so it's it's a dope to see like her talk about in general like having interest in music and then you know i wasn't there for the conversation she had with burn but to see the development is dope because um even though i'm saying that about you specifically there are a, a few folks who i've seen their development and not just that they're good but like they're good and they have a respect for the culture and i say that all the time it's like there's people who don't like me and oops i'm already over it but people even if you don't like me or whatever you think of me like i don't give a shit. but like djs who have a respect for the culture and they're good at it like there, there's a there's a level of respect that i have for those folks whether they've been doing it a year a day or a decade like those folks who respect the culture um regardless of what they think about me i'll still always have that level of respect for them
2: for sure um definitely respect the culture um this shouldn't be um he said what he said i'm gonna say what i, what I gotta say this shouldn't be just a way for you to get famous or to um attract people with the opposite sex or same sex or just to make money like Um, There's plenty of ways to do that. Um, If I wanted to just make money, I'd be a photographer. That's way less equipment to carry, Mm -hmm. Um, but definitely have respect for the culture. And and that's why uh, these two are here because I can feel their passion for music and their respect for what it is that we do as DJs. So back to crate though. So, (laughs) so you've been DJing 25 years. Uh, I guess my question would be for that is that what is your ultimate goal? and how do you stay engaged and creative in DJing after all these years because I feel like you've seen it all and done it all or maybe not so
1: I've done a lot um I don't know if I have an ultimate goal um for years my goal was to to DJ in like Japan because I I saw how they respected like hip-hop and they appreciated hip-hop I don't know if that'll ever happen but As long as we can get this covid bullshit out the way um i'll be going to taiwan soon so that was something that was supposed to happen in late september and it's been pushed back because of um covid um but so i'm kind of not check putting a check in that box in a different way but um that's been part that's happening in part because i'm part of a program called next level usa which takes hip-hop artists from around the country puts us in groups or teams and we go and do teaching and performance residencies in different places around the uh, around the world, so even though it's not Japan, it is a step in you know taking that off the list. So I say that to say like that was an ultimate goal years ago, and now I'm I'm you know a, uh, a, a email from you know a departure date away from that. Mm. So I got to find a new quote unquote ultimate goal. I don't know if I have one. I just want to always be better. Like mm-hmm. I'm very self aware in the context of knowing like all the things I still don't know. Like there's certain things that I do and certain things I know how to do, but they're not always textbook. So if you ask me to name all these different types of scratch, flares and orbits and crabs and double back, like all these different kind of specific skills, I can't name them all because I'm not I'm not a, 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 a student of the game like that. to like to be able to name all these things. But I'm an artist. So there's times where I find myself doing flare sounding cuts but I don't do them with the flare technique or you know we all do baby scratches and simple different things like that but like I say all that to say like we can give the I I can produce the outcome without using the same techniques so I don't get caught up in kind of like those aspects of it but I know all these different things that I either can't do or don't do well but at the same time I do them well enough that I can show the ability and kind of do the reference to it. But I always want to get better. So that I guess that is the ultimate goal is to always be getting better. How do I kind of stay a people call it different things, whether it's ahead of the game or or pushing the boundary. Like some of it is intentional. Like I'm finding ways to not just do like to be very honest, generally speaking, like in Columbus, I don't have to like and I don't say I personally, but like a DJ doesn't have to really do that much to to get by in Columbus. Because generally speaking, the market doesn't require us to to go past a certain threshold. For me, I'm always trying to find a way to outdo myself. Like I'm a perfectionist who knows I'll never be perfect. So whatever I do on Monday, Tuesday, I'm trying to up that. On Wednesday, I'm trying to up Tuesday. So I'm always in this self kind of inspired or this self ingrained uh, cycle of improvement. And sometimes that cycle moves a little slower than other times. And sometimes I'm like, yo. I'm, I'm on to something right here and I'm going to push it through. And sometimes I'm like, yeah, I, I don't know. I haven't figured it out or whatever. So when you talked about, you know, me podcasting years ago, like I'm not saying it was so long ago I don't remember, but there were so many things that I've done and touched on and moved in and out of. So like we spoke about it when we talked about, you know, orange soda, but I was live streaming, like video live streaming DJ sets back in like 2000 and, 2009 shout out to you stream yeah like you stream was holding me down i was doing stuff live from you know from i think it was sweet 143 or what was it called sweet 143 Yep, yep, like, yep so yep, like yep. i was live streaming back 12 years ago but not that it didn't matter but you couldn't watch it on your phones phones didn't have the capabilities that they had now so was i ahead of the game yes but no because like you stream was already a thing it's not like i created you stream you know, there's other people doing things online um, and, and on and YouTube, as an example, that I wasn't hip to because I wasn't hip to you. Not that I didn't know about YouTube, but I wasn't a heavy YouTube user. But, you know, so for me, it's always been about finding different ways to engage, adding different things to my arsenal because I'm an artist. I'm a creative. So, you know, if it was just about playing records like I, I, I'm well past my th- my, my 10,000 hours of mastery per per Gladwell. Mm-hmm. You know, did DJing for 25 years, even before I did my first set, I had a whole lot of hours of practice. So are we just talking about we're talking about practice. We talking about playing records,
0: like <laughs> about?
1: I, I can play records in my sleep. Like I can physically play records without using my hands. That's cool and all, but that's not fun for me. That's not challenging. Uh, and for me to stay engaged to it, I want to be challenged. And for me, um, and I, it sounds braggadocious, and it's not intended to sound that way. But I accept. The history is what it is. Generally speaking, there's very few people who push me in 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 this local space. Now I have some dope friends and friends who are dope DJs, so it's not about their skill set or lack thereof. But a lot of my friends and a lot of the DJs in the area like they don't do more than they have to, and I'm mm-hmm. not mad at that. But for me, like I'm always trying to do more, push deeper, et cetera, et cetera. Pause if need be. So like it's like. I'm always challenging myself so that January's crate and February's crate, there's a, I won't say drastic difference, but I want people to see each page turn. So as, once again, you know, for me, I'm not big about staying relevant, but if you saw me in 2007, you know, people came to my 10-year, you know, 10-year DJ anniversary party, and some people still say, oh, this is the best party I've ever been to in my life, And and they traveled here and there, and, like, that's cool, but I want you to see... What happens in 2022 and be like yo i thought the 10 year couldn't get better this shit was bonkers or i want people to see me you know not, not that it's my goal per se but i want people to come to this orange soda and be like yo last orange soda was crazy this shit, fuck. i didn't think it could like so even though i don't do it for the accolades i want to always be putting myself in a position where people can't can't really say like oh if you've seen crate you've seen crate because there are those artists like once you've seen them and i've and you know I've I've seen certain artists several times and once you've seen them once, you've seen all all you really need to see. I don't want to be one of those artists where like once you see me once, that's all you need.
3: Great. Would you say you're like my guess, I think I feel like I could guess your answer, but would you say like you're competitive? Like are you like your only competition?
1: No, I'm comp- so listen you you, kind of know, but I got two younger brothers and I have four sisters, two older, two younger. So like, there's a lot of us. And even though there wasn't a lot of like sibling rivalry or anything like me and my brothers, we used to go in the backyard and shoot hoops. And then, you know, so there's, there's the three of me and my two brothers. And then my dad would come out. So it would be my dad and my youngest brother against Mm -hmm. me and my brother right under me. And like, I was good at basketball. All my brothers are good at basketball. My, My pops, the basketball coach, I was good. I wasn't great. But, you know, when we were talking, you know, and this is somewhat of a tangent, but like if we just talking about 90 street ball. Like when I used to go to to Far East rec, rec Center, Barnett, like I'm I'm playing in the rec centers with Kenny Gregory and Kenny Mott. And um, I'm at because I forgot his name that fast. Um, God damn it. George uh, George Reese. Like these are cats just out of independence alone mm-hmm. that, you know, legends. That, yeah, like, that went on to play in the NBA and Ohio State Final Four. Like, so I'm holding my own on the court with them in high school. And, like, so I'm not I'm not bad. <laughs> but my baby brother, like, KJ, like, coming yeah. up, and I'm not going to take credit for it, but, like, I was like, yo, he's really good. Yeah. And he's six years younger than me. So, like, him and my dad beating me and my brother's heads in in the backyard playing basketball, like – I don't resent him for it, but like, yeah, so there, there is that natural kind of, comp, you know, competition. And once again, I ran cross country, I ran track. So like specifically cross country and track, like it's just about you, the ground and everybody else. Like there's no ball, there's no team, there's no stick, there's no mitt. They're like it's whoever is from here to there, wherever there is, whoever gets there first. So, like, that's, I won't say it's the ultimate competition, but, like, that's a different level of competition mm-hmm. than other other sports, specifically, that have a little strategy and and team and all these different things. I don't, I, and, I, and hopefully that doesn't come across as, as me saying it's better, but, yes, I'm very competitive, but part of it is, like, I don't compete in the sense of feeling like I got to, I'm doing it to make myself feel better than anybody or to convince me that I'm good. Like, I want to be good to be good. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, once again, I'm self-aware enough to know like there's some stuff I'm not good at, and I might even if I'm better than somebody else, I know I'm not good at it. So I don't really get, I don't get nothing out of being better than somebody else at something and still not being good.
3: When's the last time you DJ'd and you felt like I know this nigga ain't trying it <laughs> from, an- for, from, a, from another DJ? Or yeah, I'm talking about from another DJ. Like, what the fuck you think this is? <laughs> like,
1: so I I don't I don't. I don't know. I don't recall. Oh, okay. But generally speaking, like I like that like I like like specifically me and O. Me and O have this thing where like we 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 goof off and mess around and, and pick with each other in that f- kind of friendly rivalry of of a of, uh, steel sharpened steel, iron sharpened iron. So like we'll mess with each other, but it's not like we're going at each other f- at okay. each other's egos per se or, or what have you. But like, I need that and I'm gonna give it back. Because even if like, and most people know like, I've done plenty of nights where I DJ for four hours and you won't hear a single word from me on the mic. Mm-hmm. I don't have to, and, and I'm not saying that I'm so dope with DJ, I don't have to talk. But like, I'm not a talker like that. Now people running this podcast but like, you a goddamn lie. you've been talking this whole time. <laughs> but, like, like when I'm DJing, like, but like, when I'm DJing, I don't do a lot of talking because I'm trying to tell the story through the music through the i don't music. i don't feel like i need to yell at you and threaten you and belittle you and and i've done it so and, and for the most part like if i got to get on the mic generally speaking it's not a good thing it's mm. either because people is like you talked about yo this ain't if you got a coat over here come get your fucking coat <laughs> if you guys did
4: that this weekend
1: yeah or 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 people want keep sorry. you want to come up to me and tap me and keep getting my attention Brr. i'm sorry y'all she wants to have a conversation so we're gonna Ooh. stop the music and tell me what you want to talk about like i don't i'm not proud of it but i've had plenty of those moments where it's like yo like part of it is and i hate to say this but it's my experience part of it is columbus has spaces where things that are not that are not industry standard are so acceptable and it's not okay it's not okay because it's disrespectful for the artist it's di- disrespectful for their development and it puts the artist in a space to where they can't grow and go to other spaces and mm-hmm. excel because they're such you're used to this i don't want to call it a, a chitlin circuit type thing but this kind of just Smaller. like this just yeah like just this knucklehead bullshit like it's just <laughs> enough to get by like like niggas work so hard like they work harder at getting around doing the thing than just doing the work to do the thing so it's like there's these spaces where like industry standard is so pushed against because then and y'all spoke about it somewhat in in terms of not shouting people out or shouting people out and how they feel about it. It's like if we go by the industry standard, that makes me less important or that means I got to step my game up and do more or I, I got to go harder or, you know, it, it touches people's egos. And even if it's not intentionally that way, that's part of it. So once again. For me, like I just want to be an artist and be creative, and ideally, as a DJ, once again, I, I chose not to be a rapper, in part because I can't rap. So I, I, like, I'm not on the mic to be saying nothing to you. Let me do this with the music. And nine times out of 10, if you let me do what I've done for hundreds of thousands of hours by now, uh-huh. at a high level for a long time,
0: uh-huh.
1: like, I'm not gonna say you might learn something, but you'll enjoy yourself. Very rarely do I suck. I have those days where I'm just not on top of my game. But very honestly speaking, very rarely do I suck. And honestly speaking, and it's going to be harsh, but it needs to be said, not just for me, but for many people. I've been DJing for 25 years, hundreds of thousands of hours. What the fuck can you tell me about DJing? When you've never used a mixer, never used a turntable, don't do no kind of music study, like, you can tell me what you like or don't like, or you can say, I didn't really like that. That's fine. But what can you really tell me about DJing? What can what can I tell no matter how funny I think I am, no matter how funny <laughs> other people think I am, no matter how funny my friends tell me I am and all those things, what can I say to fucking Chris Rock? What can I really say? I can I you, you should've could have would I'm smart enough to know like even if even some of his jokes I don't quote unquote find funny. I can't really say shit to Chris Rock about being a fucking stand-up comic because I've never been a stand-up comic.
3: No, but you can tell him to stop letting his white friends say the N-word if you ever do talk to him.
2: <laughs> that's not about his mind. comedy, though. That's, that's different. But I,
3: I know it's different, but I'm just giving you like a conversation starter. Yeah, if I happen to run into Chris
2: Rock, uh, Reva told
1: me to tell you, uh, <laughs> if you don't mind.
2: Um, our, I keep bringing this up on every episode, but the Request podcast episode is going to be so long. Because even the idea of why I can't play a song when you requested, I could talk about it for 45 minutes as to all the different reasons as to why I couldn't do, why I can't do this right now. and you wouldn't know because you're not a DJ. So like it's like uh, you know like, uh, when you was younger people would be like, well you understand when you get older?" And you'd be like, what can, what, what I don't understand right now? What, can, what can't you explain to me right now? Mm-hmm. And when, once you go through life, you're like, oh, okay, I get it and I would have never got it when I was younger same thing with DJing there's like so much stuff you don't understand unless you do it and I know it sounds crazy to people that don't DJ like oh you could just tell me like no you would never understand you would never understand how it feels to put the wrong song on and you got three minutes to pick another one and people are looking at you like yeah like you would never understand like you're there DJing for 200 people and equipment cut off and you got to figure out why because no matter whether it's the venue's fault or your fault it's no music and it's your it's your fault So you got to figure it out. Like these things you would never understand that this podcast can't even explain to you. So just let professionals be professionals, especially if they've been doing it for 25 years. You can't even stay at your job for more than six months without quitting. So let him do his job.
1: And that's another thing I try not to say because it hurts people's feelings. I'm like, yo, I've been doing this longer than some people have been alive. And I'm damn sure I've been doing it longer than some people, you know, been doing their jobs or been married, et cetera, et cetera. But with that being said, like there's just so much, like there's just so much to it. And Reeve knows me and I really try. Like I'm a, I'm, I don't always, sometimes I do, but like, I'm, I'm not a violent person. I'm a jerk though. So I say things to people that really like, I want to punch this motherfucker in his mouth. I want to punch him in his face right now. Mm-hmm. But like, not that they can't, but it's like, what do I do? I just said some words. I ain't call you out your name. I ain't say nothing about your mama. Oh, you just didn't like what I said. Cause it touched you in a certain way. Anyway. So I, tr- I try not to be that guy in, 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 unless I get pushed to that point. But I, w- when it comes to requests, I'll just say this. There's two kinds of requests, something that nobody, but you wants to hear and something I was already gonna play.
0: Uh.
1: But now, people are gonna be like, but y'all, there's always this outlier. So there's been times where somebody's been like, yo, you know, have you played or do you have? I'm like, oh, yes, I, I can get it on. And and they'll, and they, the reaction is, oh, yeah. And then they'll come back like, yeah, like, yeah, but if I play the right song at the wrong time, you're not getting that response. Got it, and right. then I'm not gonna reference no names, places or things, but there's plenty of times where people ask me, five different people ask me to play the same song, and I play it, and what happens? Not a goddamn thing. Nothing. So, so in the end, it's like you know. And what I was kind of re- referencing in part is this this thing about the lack of ind- respect for industry standards. Like, name any other artist that comes to perform, and y'all telling them what songs to sing. Mm. Oh, we, we don't. Oh, we don't do that. So we know that's not okay, right? But once again, for several different reasons, we still feel like we can tell not only tell the DJ what to play. But then get mad when we don't when they don't play it when we want them to play it, regardless of how we ask or or suggest. Mm -hmm. Or I'm telling you, man, there's going to be a lot of phones flying across the room in 2022. You keep keep putting them in DJ's faces. You're just going to see iPhones, Androids fluttering across (laughs) across the club. Let me say this. And you you may not like how I say it. So I'm going to try to say it nicely. It is extremely rude at best to stick your phone in somebody's face. I don't care what you're trying to communicate. You're like, you're not Helen Keller. You're not deaf. You're not in a coma. Like, there's no reason for you to have to scribble something on a pad and put it. Stop sticking your phone in people's faces. If a DJ really wants to hear what you have to say or engage you in conversation, they have every way of doing that, whether it's asking you to come up or saying, hold on, or there's different ways that we can communicate if we want to talk to you. Mm -hmm. If we don't want to talk to you, stop feeling like you, you are, um, you, you, like you entitled. are entitled, thank you, entitled not just to 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 talk to someone, but we are at work. You don't even want to talk to half the people you work with at your job when you're at work. Why the yeah. fuck would I want to talk to you while I'm working? So I know people don't like to hear it and they don't fully understand it, but just listen, we're telling you, if we want to talk to you and engage you, we will do it we probably don't want to because we don't need you if we needed you to do our jobs we would probably let just they would just let you do it
3: yeah you'd be up it's like
1: going to burger king i don't need to i can tell him i don't want onion or tomato on it but i'm going to tell him when to put on the mustard or when to put on like if i got to do all that fuck it let me just go back there and make it or just make it at my house allow people to do what it is they are hired to do now if you hire somebody to do something and they're not good at it guess whose responsibility that is but we don't want to have that conversation about y'all hiring these shit-ass DJs into being mad or feeling like because you're used to hiring these shit-ass DJs, in your mind, it is your responsibility to tell people how to DJ. If you got to Talk hire to somebody them. and then tell them how to do the job, you hired the wrong person. That's mm-hmm. whether they're DJing, painting your fucking house, cleaning your car. Like, if you got to hire a professional and then tell them how to do the job, you fucked up by hiring the wrong person. But stop fucking with the DJ stop fucking up the DJ culture stop disrespecting people who have spent money and above all else time to Uh-oh. learn a skill for you to show up and think you can tell them how to do it I'm even clipping as a this DJ, part even at and, and I'm, I'm gonna take this time as a vet as an old head as whatever the fuck you want to call me to let folks know this, and I'm okay with whatever blowback comes from it stop 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 it's rude it's disrespectful it's not cool. It's not cute. And it makes you look like an asshole. Because it shows you it shows other folks the level of ignorance that you really have. Now it's one thing just to not know. But once again, this lightweight leads back to what I was saying about Burn coming up with, with no OGs. I'm not saying that, that anything is bad about that. But once again, when you don't have the different hierarchies and levels, because some people don't like the hierarchies. And I get the gate. I'm not talking about gatekeepers. I'm not, people, I'm, not, I'm not talking about people taking advantage of women for the sake of the, the, their, their agendas and all this other bullshit. What I'm saying is when you don't have people who've been in the game to help teach you game, whatever that game is. Shit gets fucked up because people don't have an adequate perspective of how things roll. And in different spaces, different people respond to things different ways. So I'm not advocating violence. I'm not trying to talk big or nothing reckless. But understand that there have, in hip hop culture for years, decades from the beginning, you try to approach the DJ. There are people there to physically prevent you from doing it.
2: We There's didn't bring that back
1: there's a reason for that even as another even, even as a dj unless i have express permission i'm not supposed to be walking up touching nobody else's gear mm. as a drummer who's been drumming since before 1990 i can't just walk into a room and grab someone else's drum and start playing on their drum there's cultural norms that have been thrown the fuck out the window because we all can just buy whatever and say we were at a, we we are whatever and do whatever without having no level of respect for, even if we don't agree or know it all, but like when you drive, we can't just drive where the fuck ever, even though some of y'all monkey fuckers keep doing it, running through red lights and all that different conversation. <laughs>
2: Somebody like, I know somebody I know that listens to this podcast just got rear-ended by a somebody with no license and an undocumented citizen. Shout out to you. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah.
1: So like, uh, hopefully you had your seatbelt on. But it's like I can't just drive wherever. I still got at, at minimum I got to drive right of the yellow, right of center. I can't just drive on the other side of the road just cuz I want to cuz I got a car. Mm-hmm. So there's all these different spaces in society where we have these norms and people are flexing them and and and, and culture changes and I understand that. But like when we got to this place where there's there's no rules like i have a problem with that because this only works this is only able to be a thing because we had some level of rules now oh just because it's old school don't make it all right once again we whether we talk about men being predators whether we talk about people being gatekeepers we, like there's all these different spaces on on how different things were not okay old school wise but once again i'm saying all this to say in general like there's a lot of things that go on that are not okay. And people ignore when they're told it's not okay. I have a hat. I have it on my turntables. I have it on my cases. There's all of these things saying specifically, sorry, no requests. Mm-hmm. Does it stop people from asking me, I saw your sticker, but uh, can I ask? <laughs> like, <laughs> God damn, man. It's
3: the preface for me. I saw the sticker, but. Yeah, it's like, I, I know, not you, just told, the cute, I know you told me not
1: to do this, <laughs> but can I do it anyway? Like so at some point it's like if you don't have the respect and that and that's what it comes down to for me if you don't have enough respect to not force your try to force your request or opinion or whatever on me don't expect shit for me when i respond to your disrespect because that's what it comes down to people mm-hmm. feel so free to be disrespectful and considerate to the dj but when that shit comes back people are all in their feelings like i said you want to talk to me and you see i'm djing tapping me and i'm i got on headphones i'm stopping the fucking music because that's what's keeping me from hearing you and clearly what you have to say is more important
3: than what but I'm now doing. that i
1: done stopped the music and everybody's looking at you now i'm tripping or you could have kept your ass out the dj booth or uh it's so-and-so's birthday and the birthday girl want to hear i know what the fucking birthday girl wants to hear because she hired <laughs> me and already had a conversation with her. we
3: talked about it we talked about it
1: uh so-and-so told me to ask you well if it's really that important that they wanted to know They would ask me because they have a relationship with me on this contract you i don't know who the fuck you are i don't even i don't even i don't even know your name to tell you to get the fuck away from me so i say all that and it comes off rude and hopefully it don't kill everything else i've said but y'all gotta start letting (laughs) djs be djs we don't need y'all's help now i know that y'all know and like music and a lot of people this is my thing i you anybody can like whatever kind of music they want to like this is not about that but so many things when it comes to djing that people don't even realize as simple as, people want to hear these two songs together, and it would be dope to hear those two songs together, but they have no context or understanding of what BPM is and why I can't play a 69 BPM song with an 83 BPM song back-to-back unless I'm doing very something very specific and drastic. But people don't even realize that. They just hear the song, and they be like, oh, that would sound good with that, and they sing it, and they sing it at different tempos. and like mm-hmm. There's so much to DJing that people don't understand because they don't do it. If but they don't do it. if they have convinced themselves, like, oh, my, ho- so-and-so is a DJ, or yada yada, or I just bought me a controller and I'm a DJ. Like, if it's one of those things where I can just buy me some Jordans and now I'm a fucking NBA player, then fuck it. Go do it. A lot but of we all think, know it's
3: not that. Because they cause have these have playlists. Like, playlists. Everybody thinks they have, like, their playlist is the playlist. And because they have all these cool songs on their playlist that they're, they're DJs now. Like, they can tell you how to DJ. They can... You know have an opinion on on how you're doing and it's like okay well you go buy your equipment and then you come up Mm -hmm. here and do it then yeah or you know one thing you want to get me talking on the mic Bug me for twenty minutes about playing a song you want to hear. Then when I play it,
1: you don't fucking dance.
3: You don't. Boy. Oh, that's when I will say something male or female. I'm on the mic, like, no, you was on my ass for twenty <laughs> minutes about this song. Please, you in <laughs> the middle
1: you're of my the man. floor. So, ain't this a song you want to hear? Ain't this a song? Yeah, like so. People don't want that. People. So once again, people want, and, and and it's to a greater and it's it's a bigger conversation than just DJs. But people want access to you. And they want to be able to invade your space in and, and, and whatever that context of that space is, without. Mm like no level of accountability or responsibility they whatever to, they want you to do this do it this way and all these different things now it's a different thing if you say hey i would love to hear blah 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 and you drop a five a 10 or 20 or whatever like i and, and not that it makes it okay so don't think you're about to just walk around throwing money at people another thing stop throwing money on the goddamn turntables they spin around for a reason Quit, do like do if that? you want to give me a tip just God damn, y'all make shit so difficult. Y'all make the simple shit difficult. Y'all oh really do. God. But like, yo, there's different ways. Like if you feel like you can make it worth somebody's time. But in the end, why why I get frustrated is not because I'm a DJ, but because I see how y'all don't behave behave that same way in other spaces. Mm. Or I see that you do behave a certain way in other spaces and it's not okay there either. But so overall again, lack of respect. Yeah, it's a, it's a lack of respect. It's a lack of boundaries. And, and all of that is bigger than DJ and It's bigger than the club. It's bigger than this kind of context. But in the end, like part of why OGs and having, and, and even if they're not like old school OGs, but part of having a community, because that's what it really, that's what OGs really are is community, is having people to help give you that perspective as you develop into different spaces, Have have, have having people to give you, uh, things to look out for, things to be aware of. Because even in the different podcasts I've heard, y'all are what, like five podcasts, what, four or five now? Like I even hear Lex say stuff and Byrne is like, oh yeah, so look out for this. And she's like, oh, I never really thought. So like, even if it's just in that context of looking out for and giving people who are not, and, and I, I say this in the context of kind of like a telephone pole. Like if you're at the top of the telephone pole, what you can see is very different from the people who are at the base of that pole.
0: Mm-hmm. That doesn't
1: make you better than or th- it, that's not a that, that's not a qualitative assessment where they're at allows them to have a different perspective. And that different perspective allows them to tell you about things that are coming that you can't see yet or you haven't experienced yet. But once again, if it's about ego, you don't want nobody to be able to tell you about those things because you want to mm-hmm. be the end all be all in the now and act like all this shit that happened before you were around, before you were hip to it, or whatever, didn't exist. And that sits bad with me. Because outside of it, and once again, on a personal level, outside of the DJing, that's like spitting in the face of your fucking ancestors. Mm. And I know people don't see it on that level. They don't have to. That's that's how I see it. Because I understand that so much of what I do, whether it stands on the backs of Grandmaster DST, Grandmaster, Grand Wizard Theodore, uh. Uh, fucking Grandmaster Flash and beyond, like, all of these things that I do, no matter how dope you think Crate is, I can't do none of this shit if we don't talk about Flash, if we don't talk about Theodore, if we don't talk about DST. And the last thing I'll say about this is, and I teach this in my classes, we talk about Herbie Hancock's Rocket, which had the dun-dun, 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 and the, and the scratches that Grandmaster DST laid on on that on that cut. And not just a DJ scratching but what it did for the visibility of of hip hop DJs yeah. the, the the growth of the culture the respect of the culture and a lot of people don't realize when Herbie Hancock won that Grammy he was in a category with Barry white Michael Jackson Quincy Jones uh i want to say kashif but i can't swear to that last night some like major i love very major (laughs) music heavyweights and Mm -hmm. herbie won that hancock herbie hancock won that grammy
0: hey (laughs) yo we got a
1: bonus (laughs) (laughs) we gotta we gotta edit that out herbie hancock (laughs) won that grammy so once again that that like so i'm standing on the shoulders of people like that so you're not going to like once again I know when I say, it, and I've I've been very comfortable in this space for many years, certain things I'm okay with being the messenger with. And in part because I'm not pressed about, generally speaking, like what people think about me. Like you can say that I'm rude and, and this and that, but you can't never say I'm not good at what I do. You can't say I'm not a professional. You can't say I'm not reliable. You can't say I'm not efficient and proficient. There's a lot of things you can say about me, but there's a lot of things you just can't say about me, regardless of what you think about me. With that being said, I'm okay with being that 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 guy at times because there are things that need to be said, and just because other people won't say them doesn't mean it doesn't need to be said. And I'm okay with being, for lack of a better word, the warrior that 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 takes the sword on certain things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but like, change don't happen if we just kind of allow the same, you know, things things to keep going that don't, That's that a don't fact. push for change.
2: I feel like. Um... What you said about OGs, I think the problem is that a lot of uh, DJs learn under promoters and not other DJs. That's another topic for another podcast. Um, Before we get out of here, um, I what I really want you to do in this last bit of uh, this last segment is for people like Recio and Don't Fret, other people out there that just started DJing. um, Like I, I only know what I know, and I didn't learn from somebody else, so it's limited. So that's why I want them to be better than me because at least they have somebody as a resource. Now you're a great resource. So if you can give uh newer DJs, um not as tenure DJs, one piece of advice, specifically um a technical technical advice as far as like what go going into playing music, uh what would it be? If
1: it only had to be one specifically in in terms of Playing music, yeah. um, I don't know. I would have to say, off the top of my head, whatever you use, like learn every bit of that thing. Even if you know, so for years, like I said, I had Newmark TT200s. So those aren't they—they they, they $250 turntables. They ain't top of the line, um, but because of my skill set and understanding how to maximize their use, Mm. I was able to do some great artistic things with them. You know, Behringer mixers, for example, those aren't the top of the line mixers, they're not great mixers. But you don't, you didn't come to my show being like, "Uh, he's using a Behringer. I, I understood every component of that mixer, which allowed me to maximize my any idea that I had, I figured out how to let let what what it, the tools that I had, kind of do that. So for me, you know, I'll, I'll kind of rephrase it in like don't let your don't let the the tool or the thing that you have be the limit to what you do. Like even though it's not ideal, like you can give somebody a hammer, they can build a whole house with a hammer. It's going to take you a while. It's not going to be fun, but it can be done. So don't feel like I only have this one thing so I can only um, because I think that in the end, like we are, all, all, we, are, we are only as limited as our mind allows us to be. So for everything that we think of doing, I think there's a way of figuring out how to do that at whatever level of technical capacity you have in terms of equipment.
2: Last last thing for me, then i you guys, if you have questions, um, I was on Instagram one time, um, and the, and the subject, we talked about this earlier about what it means to be a DJ and how people say, you know, a DJ, if you don't X, Y, Z. So DJ scratch, we all know DJ scratch. He said, um, I, in so many words, he was like, you could take two songs and play them back to black and back to back and have a good transition between one and the other. Then that's the, the foundation of being a DJ. Uh, what's your opinion on that? and what would you say if you can be concise about like your definition maybe like one or two sentences what do you think a dj is
1: i think a dj is somebody who plays music through cd plays recorded music so whether it's through cd tapes vinyl generally that that's my definition of a dj um but i think in terms once again of being a hip-hop dj it's not just about physically playing the music, but there is a historical and a cultural aspect to how that music is played. So once again, um, you don't have to do a whole bunch of crazy. You don't have to be Q-Bert with the scratches, or you don't have to be, you know, Rock Raider with the juggles, or even DJ Scratch with the body tricks. Like you don't have to do all those things that are that are at the the far end of the spectrum. But if you play a song all the way through and then it gets quiet and you play another song, like that's not what a hip hop DJ is. And it's just not. And now you can call yourself what you want, you can see yourself how you want, but it's like playing soccer and not being a goalie and using your hands. Like it's just not, it's no, like no. Like, I'm, and I'm not okay with all this redefining of it. So can I say what a DJ is or isn't, or you have to do these things to be a DJ beyond playing music? No, not really. And in part because I stopped putting energy into to try to even understand or find a way to say that. But when we talk about hip hop DJs, if you can't blend, if you can't scratch, I I have trouble seeing how you're a hip hop DJ. Now, once again, even there's, but, but that's still just the, the cusp of the conversation because to be a good hip hop DJ, you still gotta know what what that balance is, what that ratio is. I know plenty of DJs who can blend and scratch and but they don't know when to blend and when to scratch and when to just let the fucking song play. There's, so
2: there's a like bunch so of much, uh so much to it. There's a bunch of technically sound DJs that cannot rock a party. Like they can scratch their life away, but can you play three songs and maybe we dance? Nope. So oh, yeah. Um hmm. you guys have any questions for Crate, uh I hope the answer is yes. Don't embarrass me. I
4: have plenty. So I think one thing we haven't talked about quite yet is like the business aspect of it. And with you being 25 years into this, like, I'm sure you've seen a lot of careers start and end and like take some very wrong turns for perhaps those business reasons. So what advice do you have on that front? And I don't want to like ask a specific question because, you know, who knows what gyms you're sitting on, but if you could speak to that.
1: So I will say, and I've said this several times before in other spaces, like I was at least seven years into DJing before I fully understood I was a business. To me, I was just a DJ that was getting hired and I didn't realize I was a business, but luckily in part and mainly because of how I was raised and certain standards that I have when I was raised and certain things that were always expected of me, my brand, even though I didn't know I was building one, the Crepe Digger brand was a very strong brand even though I didn't realize that's what it was. So I always say that even if you're not going into this to run a business, be aware of your brand um, in whatever capacity, whether that's showing up on time, making sure your equipment is clean, making sure you're having proper communication, knowing how to respond to emails or phone calls or knowing how to just kind of engage in a general professional nature. Um, And then there's so much deeper to it. So it's like even if it's not... um, even if it's not like heavy, like, uh, uh, like even if you're not an LLC or something where you're a, a very heavy business, understand that you can still have your equipment insured or know how to write off based on certain space in your home that your DJ equipment sits in if it's something that creates income for you or know how to engage with uh, communities and work groups and different folks so you can develop a technical understanding as technology and different things change so you can be part of those kind of conversations to be aware of what the general industry is doing. Like there's so many different uh, ways to engage business. Um, And then part of it too is knowing that, you know, it's different now than it was when I first started. I'm not gonna tell the whole story, but when I first started, there was no social media. Black Planet came around at some point, but (laughs) like if we wanted to promote a party, we had to, design a flyer, take it to Kinko's, do what's called quarter sheets, getting the same thing turned into one from one on the sheet to four separate ones. And we had to sit in Kinko's for hours and chop up hundreds of pieces of paper to quarter sheets. Then we had to walk through Lexington or, or Louisville or Frankfurt or wherever to promote the party. And if we were trying to do a big party, we went to all these different schools to get their student body to come to Kentucky State. So we had to do all these things physically. Street Is known as street teaming, but like we had to do those things because we couldn't get on whatever app on our phones or on the computer and send out this bat signal, social media bat signal about this event. So like understanding how to engage and why that's important is, it, is specifically because it allowed us to actually meet people, meet people, talk to mm-hmm. people, hand somebody a flyer. Like I get it, but God damn, I got so tired of coming out to my car after doing the club and seeing flyers all in my windows <laughs> or seeing flyers all stuffed. In. Like I had a car that at some point, like I can't tell you how many flyers were inside the door because I used to slide them in between the window and the door and I don't need, notice them until I'm rolling my window down after the club. So it's like all these things to where we have these passive and impersonal ways to get people to come and support our events. Like we had to be, even if we didn't know these people, we had to be personal and personable. And part of what allows people to support you and your events, even if you're not, like we all know whack-ass artists across whatever space. But they have a fan base because people like them. People fuck with them. So like that's something I had to learn the hard way. Like, and uh, somebody told me this and and it, it I won't say it hurt, but it, it gave me a whole different perspective. It's like, yo Crate, everybody respects you, but everybody doesn't like you. And I had to be like, why don't they like me? <laughs> and like, it, it didn't matter. In the end, part of why I wasn't getting a, a, a certain, having a certain level of progress in certain spaces wasn't because I wasn't good or anything other than like people, I wasn't making that personal connection. So it's not and, and and not in the in the context of people like disliking me, but I wasn't making that personal connection to allow people to be invested in, in in supporting me and engaging me for my business venture to go on. So I say all that to say like there's these different ways that you can do things of, of sound business practice, even if it's not a business. Even as simple as like, just being a person of your word. Like so many people bounce checks or say they're gonna pay you. And then when it's time to pay you, they don't. Or even if, so, you know, shit happens, I get it. But don't tell me like, yo, I'm gonna hit you up tomorrow. And why now why I gotta track you down for a week? Or why have I waited three days to get paid for you to write me a check that bounces? Or like all these other things that go on. And then on the backside, DJs, y'all gotta be responsible. Like if you're supposed to be somewhere to set up at seven, don't show up at 7.55. If the event started at 8. Don't not know what kind of sound system is going to be there for you to, to, to plug into, even if you don't have to bring the clo- the, the, the plugs. And get, reach out, ask the questions. Or like know, like, all right, is there a table that I, do I need to bring a table? Is there a table mm-hmm. there? What length table? Do I need to bring linen? Do you have, like, all these different things? So I say all that to say, like, even if it's not a business where you're filing taxes and LLC and all these things, like, be a good person. And I know that's very subjective across a wide different, but like, treat people how you want to be treated. Because we all know, like, when like people feel free to treat you however, but you don't treat them a certain way, they ain't with it. So people understand what is and is, isn't generally speaking reasonable behavior. Just be a good person, you know, and that that that's always the best start.
2: I had this re- I just written down as a real, real real quick question. Um, uh, I ha- always had this question, but I couldn't Google it. In front of you is your mixer. In front of that, you have your two phones sitting on top of something that's covering the wires. Is there a name for that, or did you just make that? It's called a box. No, I'm
1: playing. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't. <laughs> I don't know if there's an actual like technical name for it. Um, i had. I had the. I don't remember what, when I got the idea, but I did realize at some point, specifically in 2020, watching other DJs and the boom of live streaming because of COVID, I realized that other DJs were doing it too. So for me, it helps a cover the the, cord, the cables, and it gives me an opportunity. It's kind of hard to see, but it gives me an opportunity to do some branding. So you'll see my my old school logo there, and I same thing because I have a camera that sits up top that looks straight down. So it's just an opportunity to do some branding, um, and then also to have you know my phones on it because one phone handles the scene switches on OBS, second phone watches whatever the the live stream like. It'll, I'll have Twitch on this phone. So I'm watching what people on Twitch are seeing here while I'm physically doing this because of the time lag. So for me it's just easier to to have them elevated and not me looking down at the sides or looking down away from. So but it also helps because as you as you see for me presentation matters. Yeah. So not having, you know, wires all over the place. That's another thing, you know, just in in part to business and, and like a lot of people just don't think about and I I I I'll try to say this without any judgment. Like they don't think about how things look. And your presentation is not just about your sound as a DJ or the songs you pick, but looking like, you know, like a professional. And you don't got to, you know, you don't got to have a three-piece suit on or have a prom dress on. <laughs> but, you know, try, try to try to iron your, your T-shirt. Like, I've rocked plenty of shows in a T-shirt. Iron your T-shirt. Or, you know, make sure it's clean. Or, yeah. you know, ha- try. you don't have to have your cords hidden, but, you know. Don't have a your your curl your extension cord just all round up and curly you know looking like a what do they call the spiral noodles or whatever like don't have it oh, all yeah. <laughs> don't don't have it looking like a stretched out slinky across the room you know all these different things that are just yeah. you know little aspects that often get o- overlooked because a lot of people are not detail oriented I'm very detail oriented I'm very aware of the minutiae because details really do matter and they and they often can be unfortunately or fortunately they can be the things that make or break opportunities
2: or break. Yeah. right yeah i am i saw on it was like on pioneer or Serato or something where they had the wires covered with the, and i thought that was a piece of equipment you can buy but of course you made it because one thing about Crate is that um make he gonna repurpose or use something <laughs> instead of buying something new it's like this can do that so i don't need a new one i'm gonna just use this because i can do it so because uh, cause you can definitely do everything you just say with a stream deck but why buy a stream deck you got another phone handy So, yeah,
1: (laughs) and it's a lot cheaper because I was looking at buying a stream deck, but they were all out of stock, you know, in in May of 2020. So I found an app for, I want to say maybe $15 at the most, but the app does the same thing. And once again, you know, it's not an extra piece of equipment that I got to find space for. It's just a little phone that I can have on a phone mount or I can have it sitting here or hiding or whatever. And, you know, Lowe's sells lumber. So anybody who knows me knows like I'll buy like I I know you can kind of see it over here. But like this, like that's a new frame that the whole thing sits on so this is plywood there's a sheet of plywood under it and then I have these two legs so like the whole DJ booth is a DIY I got a whole at some point I'm gonna do a video for it on Instagram but I've got a whole like stand in front of me that has lights speakers monitors so I'm looking at y'all on zoom on a monitor that sits in front of me so I'm not looking off to the side while I'm DJing I'm okay. really trying to stay locked in so like my Serato is on my laptop which is right here but I have my video out to a monitor, so I'm always looking at the monitor when I'm looking in my laptop to look and find my songs, but I'm looking at the camera. So like I'm trying to stay engaged with Twitch. So, you know, it's not rocket science, but it just takes a little bit of more than just enough to get by or everybody else is doing it this way, so it's okay for me to do it this way. Sometimes right. that's cool, but I've just never been one to really like follow the pack like that. And that's you know, that's, that's good, but sometimes, you know, I get annoying to folks and I get it. I'm not for everybody, but <laughs> I am how I am, and I am who I am, unapologetically.
2: Right. Definitely. All right. Uh, re, um, so no you friend.
3: answered you answered most of uh, the questions I had just through conversation. So the two remaining is one: uh, when can you get me on the schedule to look at my speakers? You
1: have been asking me that for a while, huh? You're right. My bad.
3: And two: Cray is throwing his own concert, and He's co-headlining with another DJ, and he's got four artists performing, whether R&B, rap, other DJs, before he and the co-headliner. Local, national. Who who do you pick? Who's in your lineup? Who you co-headlining with DJing, and who do you got performing at your show? Mm. Besides May. <laughs>
1: All right, so it is a tie between it, for for my kind of partner in headlining. It's a tie between Sakari and DJ Bombirdo or Bombay. Oh yeah, it, those are those are two artists who uh, I have a great personal friendship with and great artistic re- uh, working relationship with. Um, it it it's always Sakari first, but you know not to get too into his personal situation. But he has some health issues. So sometimes, so I'm also cognizant of not, even though I know he would say yes, of not even being willing to ask him to do certain things, uh, because I know the stress it would put on him, uh, physically and his health. But if it like if all things were equal, like me mm-hmm. and Sakari, no no questions asked. Um, but if, if Sakari's not available or that's not a, a reasonable option, Bombay, um, in part because Bombay just does things. Like I say this, and and to me, it's easy for me to say it because. Like I have a, a different perspective of it or context of it, but people think like, "Yo, Craig just done like Craig does amazing." Like, I ain't done shit. When you see Bombay do some things, like uh, crazy, it's ridiculous. So like, Bombay is just so dope, and he's he's cool as hell, and he's hilarious. So it's like he's just a great like. If I had to go on a tour, Bombay is the guy that I'm going on tour with because he's real cool. He's extremely dope artistically. He's professional. Like, he's a real, just a good guy. So, like, Bombay and I would be, like, uh, would be a, you know, a dream team in that context. Mm -hmm. Who else is on the bill? Um, That's a great question, and I don't know how I can answer it because I've built so many great friendships Mm -hmm. with artists, both local and national. But, like, if I really had to think about, like, pulling an artist from every segment of my career, um, like, I would have Spirit. I would have... Eric Roberson, I would have Ciroc, the MC. Oh, nice. Um,
3: We're be there. Right
1: <laughs> like, I did a show at Camp Lowe that was really dope. Like, and, and I mean, like, not just because of the songs, but like camp, like seeing Camp Lowe rock a, a show like that was a great experience to see like something that y- you don't really see anymore is like two or multiple MCs really rocking. Like so people who see Meth and Redman and really enjoy that, like that group MC kind of thing is something that doesn't happen as much. So like seeing Camp Lowe um, rock would be something I would be willing to see often. Um, aside from the fact like they just make great music. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure I'm leaving folks out. I think if you ask me the same question next week, I'll probably have a totally different answer other than (laughs) Sakari and Bombay. But, you know, I say this all the time. I'm very honored, blessed, and I do not take for granted, like, music and just something being, me having an interest in something and having the opportunity to explore that interest has led me to have opportunities to meet some really great artists who are also great people, to, to do shows and see things and be, like, just have a whole life experience that, you know, no shade but like had i been an accountant or a school teacher or all these different things i considered doing i wouldn't have had the opportunity to do um so like i've met a lot of great folks and had some really great shows and experiences and like it's it's been a blessing uh to say the least to be able to have all these people to even consider um plugging into as answers to that question but you know i it's too many to pick It, it really is too many to pick I would. And not, and not even show. from a like a, a a political standpoint. Like I, like I don't I don't even know where to start to to give a, a fair answer to that.
3: Well, I like where you started. Yeah. <laughs> we have the foundation right now. I'm with oh. the lineup. Let's do it.
2: <laughs> and uh, two things. One, I know a lot of y'all don't know. So Google Spirit, uh, Columbus. There's a there's a Columbus Live article about them, and they can get you caught up. Secondly, it was very important for me at Orange Soda Fest that uh, me and Don't Fret DJ together for the same reason that I'm sure you picked Sakari, so um, it's going to be like that from from here, henceforth, here on out. And we're having our own night starting on February 18th, the three of us at Two Troops. Come check us out. Um, also, Orange Soda, once again, this Friday, February 11th at Scully's. Doors open at 10. It's going to be a great time. Um, crate Digget, Step 1 from Cleveland, me and Don't Fret. Um, any other questions for Great. Great. any other, any questions for us
1: um i don't think so just enjoy the uh the journey like for 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 you guys who are learning i mean burn too but you know as you learn and get into it like it, there is a an importance to being serious about the journey and and kind of protecting yourself and and all those things that you just have to be aware of specifically because you're females in the industry and women in the industry um but at the same time like enjoy the journey like i just think about like the experience i had and what it was like to be learning how to dj and to just show up and no matter how much i wanted to spend but to be able to show up set up and then just stand back and watch not just watch sakari dj but just watch the crowd watch the audience and there was so much that i was learning even if i wasn't intentionally trying to learn so i say all that to say enjoy the journey um and and be okay with who you are how you are Mm. um like i said you know i was far from great but it didn't take me x amount of years to be ready like six weeks in i was ready Mm -hmm. so if you think you're ready like don't let anybody say because you haven't done a b or c or you haven't met whatever litmus test that you're not ready you know generally speaking you know you know you can be honest with yourself and say yo i'm ready for this and even if you're nervous or whatever like people ask me like do i still get nervous i don't know i don't think it's nervous it's a mix of excitement and then part of it is still just understanding, like, at any time, like, I can do a great set, and if people don't feel it, it's like me, it's like me, say, giving a, it's like, imagine if Martin Luther King did the I Have a Dream speech to a whole bunch of people who didn't speak English. Like, <laughs> does that make, the, does that make the, the speech any less of a great speech? Yeah. Like Or does it <laughs> matter that, that it, like, people understand it? Like, so, like. I don't I don't say that in the context of like making myself the king of the the MLK of DJing. But it's like I know that at any night I could do a great thing or have a really good set. They just may not translate. And, you know, I just I I get over it relatively quickly. Um, And there's been times where it's like, you know, people hop online and say this or that or, you know, so it's not fun. But, you know, what can you do?
2: especially Mm -hmm. when it's other DJs, especially when they don't at you. And I've seen every tweet, and I want you all to know I saved all of them. So next time you ask me why I can't be on orange sodas, because you was talking shit about me.
1: Yeah, But that, yeah. that's another story for another no, day. No, it's not, because anyway. that's part of it. So, <laughs> so, so I'll tell it. Me and, me and Byrne talk, you know, here and there about like, yo, I I saw what you said about so-and-so. Or like, I'll yeah. I see some of the, so I'll say this. I see some of the goofiness that some folks put out on Twitter. <laughs> goofiness. I, 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 yeah, I'll just leave it at that. I see some of the goofiness that people say on Twitter. And I just I just make that mental note like, all right. And then a, a week later, I'm like, yo. So, uh, I know you saw this, this and that, or yeah, I see that so and so hasn't said nothing back since yada. So, like, I don't get into it, but listen, I peep it, but yeah, like, I seen it. And these problems
3: you don't want. That's what he said. Seen
2: you know, it,
1: like, like a, like a zenith. Where do I call Like I. Like,
2: I <laughs> and what I get out like of it is ghost that face, But go here. You, uh you got so much respect for me that you can't say it to me and I appreciate that because you know better <laughs> but but yeah I see everybody yeah a lot of people you know not having an OG I think I said this already I'm gonna say it again um a lot of people I was put in certain places probably before I was ready icon being one of them um before my time shout out to Yogi and Bobby is a lot of people had a problem with that um and probably because I wasn't ready for it and that was cool because back in 2009 I probably wasn't ready for it this ain't that no more, though. So if ever y'all want to go at it, you can let me know. Per- you just at me. We can set it up. We all got, you know, good crowds. And it'd be a good, healthy competition for the people, you know? Cause I, I'm-
1: I I had the same experience, though. Like, when I when I first started doing um, stuff with Innate Enterprises and doing the, the Standard Lounge, like, there was other cats playing Neo Soul. And I didn't, like, I didn't show up at their gigs and try to undercut them or say out... I- like I was asked to come do something. I didn't go out my way to take nobody else's space. People came to me based on what I was already doing and said, "Yo, we want, we want you to add value to this." And there's still some people, to this day, who even though they won't say it to me, mm-hmm. they'll smile in my face and they think I don't see the sub tweets. And yes, I blocked you because you don't have, you're not getting access to me. But that's I how I let you like know say, I saw it. I saw yeah. it, and now you blocked. And 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 so so like like part of it is like that's gonna happen and for for whatever reason or no reason. Like I think that's just part of the thing. Like a lot of people feel like they're in a space to always say who doesn't doesn't deserve something that they don't get. But in the end, like whether you was ready or not, you were asked to do that thing and you did it. And even if you didn't do it well, like ain't nobody that i know of running before they walking walking before they crawling and before we're doing any of that we all falling so at some point we all got to go through that development some people have the opportunity to do develop do the development fail or fall and then get up because they have that support system and some people don't have no support system or some people is too too afraid of or too fearful of or too lazy to, or insert whatever adjective adverb there to get to the point where they really test it to know for sure, are they ready? Or are you able to handle the hardship that comes with this? Because even in a perfect sense, DJing is not easy. Even if I don't have people bugging me about, about songs or if the sound system ain't acting funny or promoters or like even on the, in, the, in the best of environments, this still is not easy to do. Right, so like you always gonna have those folks who got whatever to say, yeah. you know, and they send them, the them, to DJ Burn. They ain't saying to to uh a, a accountant Burn. <laughs> right,
2: yeah. Um, <laughs> I would just say, and we, we're gonna wrap. One, I ain't gonna block you because I want to, I want you to see me thriving. Um, secondly, dang, what did you just say? It was uh, very important, and I was gonna reply to it. Uh, uh in saying this. Oh, um. I have never, ever, ever, ever told a promoter to not book somebody and book me because I'm I'm, I'm better or say I will take less money than that person because I really want to do it. I speak on, on, for only on my own behalf. If you pick somebody over me, cool. And that's just because of how I'm, I'm built. And I don't think anybody on this call would ever do anything like that. Um, if you out there doing it, that's suck of shit. And that's it. So anyways, uh, Craig, uh, can you uh, let everybody know where they can reach you, uh, your socials, website, all that? We oh, I'm sorry.
3: Get, we didn't get crate song. We didn't, oh, yeah, we didn't even do that yeah, segment. You got all yeah.
1: these segments of the show.
2: I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, put us on. I know this we've been is... doing
1: this a long time. I don't know how long the final episode is going to be, but we've been doing this for a while. <laughs> oh, they I ain't cutting this at all. They're they <laughs> yawning, and I think uh, le- uh, Lex might have fell out her chair once. And <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Burn done le- put up his uh, his whole page about five times.
2: So. <laughs> I made something like, to eat. No. um. <laughs> Put us on is this, uh, He did
1: not he didn't go to get something He like he made a delivery. Like he do a door at the same time. He
0: went and made a delivery and came back. <laughs> All right.
2: Put us on. This is this uh where we uh put you on to a song that you may or may not know. Um uh whether it's old or new, something we think you should uh be listening to. And create you're gonna have to go first because you're the guest.
1: Wow. What is something that I want to put people on to? Um and I'm mad because I can't remember the name of that song right off the top of my head. Give me, give me 30, give me ten seconds. I gotta find it because it's important right. that I share this song. I'll
3: go, um, okay. in place because I actually came prepared this week. Okay. Um, but it's off of Young Thugs album, pink. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry, Punk. Mm-hmm. But the cover is pink. That's why I said that. Um, and it's Faces.
2: Okay. I, um, Dr. Dre did some uh stuff for Grand Theft Auto. It's like some downloadable content, and he put some songs out with it. and The songs are fire, all of them. I'm like, I need this to be an album. But the song with uh Rick Ross and Anderson Pack, uh, is probably the, my favorite. Um, and it is called uh, dang, what is it? Um, now I can't find it. There it is right here. It's called The Scenic Route Dr. Dre, Rick Ross, Anderson Pack. Check that out. Also, he got a song with Nipsey Hussle and Ty Dollar Sign Diamond Mine. Um, Ooh, that's also I think fire. That's-
4: What'd you say, Lucille? I said so, I'll take that. I'm a Ty Dolla's uh, sign stand. Period. Um, for me, um, this isn't new, but it came on shuffle the other day, and I was like, "Oh, this is such a good song." It's um, right track by Sid and Smino. Mm. Yeah, that song is fire.
1: Okay, so the same, the name of the song I was thinking of is Nutshell Part Two. Is by Fife, rest in peace to Fife, featuring Buster Rhymes and Red Man. Super, uh, super shout out to um, Dilla, who did the production. Um, so, of course, uh, Fife passed away in 2016. Uh, Dilla passed away in 2006, if I'm not mistaken, <coughs> the year. Um, and they both uh, have been great influences and inspirations to me. Um, both before I was a DJ as well as during uh my career as a DJ. So um special shout out to DJ Roster Root who laid the, the the cuts down is kind of I'm not going to say he's in charge of the the uh, estate for Fife, but uh he and Fife are real close and he, he was a DJ for Fife uh in the later years. So uh Roster Root has been kind of um managing these new releases uh but nutshell part 2 by uh, the one and only legendary Rest in Peace fife dog of tribe called quest produced by the legendary rest in peace Jay dilla featuring buster rhymes one of my favorite uh, mcs red man always a dope mc and cuts by the one and only dj roster root
2: nice Thanks, great all right so w- where can people reach out to you great uh 24
4: 7
1: 365 you can catch me on cratedigger.com all things crate digger are there music visuals tutorials documentaries and more uh, if you're on the social media hit at crate digga k r a t e d i w g a on twitter on fanbase on tiktok and on instagram um i'm on twitch as dj crate digga i'm on facebook as dj crate as well but i tell people all the time like crate digga.com is really the the hub and the heart of the crate Digger universe anything that i do um you can find it through hitting crate digga.com so uh start there and if you do that now uh that re-release of my 2019 orange soda set is sitting right there on the front page of the website for you to check that out it's a roughly 55 minute set give or take so it's not like it's a long thing uh check out my set from 2019 the first time I was a part of orange soda um and then you know honored and and thankful and excited to be coming back later this this week here so as you're listening to this um prepare yourself I guess I'm gonna be getting ready and looking forward to to this next uh, uh, experience, known as Orange Soda. So
0: I, I'm
2: gonna go back and listen to his set because uh, it's. I feel like since we're going, me and me and Don Fred are going back to back, um, and it's important for me to uh, push up the levels a little bit so that uh, we can try to put some pressure on Crate. It ain't gonna happen, but I'm gonna try.
3: <laughs> no, he just told you he was competitive. Now all right, that's good for everybody, you know. I'm bringing candy. Be nice to me,
2: thank you. She <laughs> gonna so have a box bit... of Whoppers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I tell you what, you bring that bit of honey, uh, we gonna wrestle. <laughs> somebody, somebody stage, somebody's gonna stage dive unexpectedly if you bring oh, me It candy. ain't gonna
3: be me, child.
2: Some worders.
0: Yeah,
1: hold, hold my Red Bull.
3: <laughs> all of that.
2: Nah, all right. Um, so this has been put it on record, episode eight. Uh, make sure you. Follow us on social medias at DJBRN underscore on Instagram at, and Twitter at DNTFRT on Instagram and Twitter at Les Choir underscore or not on Instagram or Twitter. I'm going to keep saying that until she fixes.